Hey gang, welcome to episode 250 of the No Persinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, and yes, this is an incredibly big episode, literally and figuratively, because this is probably the longest episode uh, we've ever done. Uh, When I'm done editing this bad boy, it'll clock in at just shy of four hours. (laughs) (laughs) You're getting three episodes uh, for one download today. Uh, Sorry if I broke your phones. Um, Three segments, uh, a hell of a lot of of classic guests uh, from earlier eras. Um, is, Is this what I envisioned the 250th episode of the podcast after five years? We've been doing this podcast for five years after five years of doing this uh six years for no pro as a whole um no of course not um uh i mean the part where i'm sitting in the living room kitchen area window and i'm looking out and i'm recording and i'm seeing the you know the mailman's doing something like that that's normal uh the conditions under which we recorded it of course are not none of none of this is normal (laughs) which has been the mantra for the past four years of our lives um uh, just, just a, just, just a fascinating time to be alive, uh, as we all know. Uh, but we wanted to, uh, we wanted to celebrate the milestone, and uh, I wanted to get the gang back together uh, in various forms. So today you're getting three segments. You're getting the first one, the raw now, uh, and that's going to have uh, Catherine. Uh, is going to join us. Uh, so will uh, Catherine Yu, who's our executive editor, for those who aren't you know, on the inside of this. Although if you're listening, this, do not make this a fir- your first episode of No Pro. Just do yourself a favor. Don't, no. <laughs> this, this is for the people who've been with us for a while. Uh, Catherine Yu, our executive editor. Juliet bennett Ryla uh, of We Like LA, and who's also been a contributor over the years. And a Ricky Briganti of Pseudonym Productions. Again, also been a contributor over the years. Uh, and um, and the the founder of Inside the Magic, uh, all together for a segment we call the Raw Now, uh, which is focusing on the moment we're in, what's going on, uh, since we can't ignore it. Um, I don't want to ignore it. Segment two, uh, which will be coming up, the future, and there'll be breaks, there'll be little little song and dance numbers by me in between. Uh, Catherine hangs on. Uh, Kevin Gossett, uh, our LA editor, and then David and Lisa Spira of Room Escape Artist, who have also uh, uh, been friends of the show for some time. They're in for the future. That one, that one took us three times. We had technical problems, so you're kind of listening to uh, the makeup version of the recording. We still went for almost an hour. Um, and then finally, uh, the after dark slash origins session section of the show, uh, with Anthony Robinson, who's been with us from the beginning, our dear friend Zay Amsbury, who was our former New York coordinator, uh, and still one of our favorite people to, to talk with and Brian Bishop, uh, late of the verge and also spent some time at ILM X lab. And, uh, you know, maybe if you've been around the show long enough, you know, there was an episode with Zay and Brian that we recorded partially over the Internet uh, in Brian's house. Weirdly enough, uh, you'd think from those three guys that we'd wind up doing some giant uh, Galaxy's Edge thing. I think there's like 30 seconds of Star Wars talk. 
uh, um, I'm not going to add to it right now. I'm not going to be like, oh, so to make up for it, here's five hours of me talking about... Actually, I turned on uh, Waypoint Radio this week, and the beginning section was them uh, contemplating, you know, what was Sheev's deal? Uh, and I was like... <laughs> It's like I'm home. Um, I hope you feel like you're home right now. Oh, wait a second. You are home right now. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, I hope you feel like you're not home right now. There you go. That's how to do that one. Uh, and that you're, you know, you're you're able to travel with us uh, into mental planes far and wide. Because we've got, like I said, the better part of, you know, <laughs> I almost said five hours, four hours uh, to celebrate this five years and 250 episodes of podcasting, which has been brought to you by uh, listeners like you. Uh, we have 340 backers right now. Uh, we, you know, more than one backer for every podcast. That's great. Uh, we uh, adding on this time out, uh, Juniper Productions joined on and Samuel Mystery came back in as a sustaining backer. And so uh, speaking of sustaining backers, that would be Mark Balthazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Lonnie Hansen, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, Samuel Mystery, Sydney Guillory, Jeremy Charles Hahn, Brittany and Elaine. Wonderful. So many of you uh, just 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 that. That's like, I, I, I'm not going to do math right now. It's a lot and uh, it's beyond flattering. It's, uh, it's humbling is what it is. Um, yeah, uh, let's, let's dive into the first segment. Let's dive in to the raw now and uh, I'll be back on the other side of this. And yeah, uh, there's, there's some... There's some uh, announcements that will happen over the course of the show. So, you know, stick around because I'll be making you know, little drops here and there. We've got uh, three things a brewing and, uh, you know, one of them's fun. One of them and one of them is major and one of them is uh, is part of our long term compact with you. And so I'll reveal one of those after this segment. Ooh, I wasn't planning on doing this. I like what I'm doing. You probably don't. I'm having fun, though. Ha ha. So this part of the show, uh, we're calling the raw now and I'm calling it that because I was in a session a couple of weeks ago, uh, and the, the, the expert person was talking about how what we're going through right now, where you are at this moment, this is not the new normal. Uh, the, the new normal is coming. That's down the road. What we're in right now is the raw now. We're essentially in a kind of a survival mode. And what's been interesting to me in, in our world is that survival mode has unlocked a hell of a lot of creativity. Not everything is working. Not everything should be working anyway, because no one really knows what they're doing. Coming around to talk with us in this segment are three of my favorite people to talk all things immersive with. Uh, of course, there is our executive editor, Catherine Yu. Hi, Catherine. Hello. Coming at you from being trapped in my bedroom in downtown L.A., Coming to us from the East Coast is our, our partner in crime uh, and the co-author of the 2020 uh, immersive, what are we calling it, Ricky, this time? We've changed the name. 
Help me out uh, here. The, the Immersive Entertainment Industry Annual Report. That is correct, uh, which uh, Ricky has co-authored uh, with his partner at Pseudonym Productions, uh, Sarah. Um, and uh, I think uh, I think we're going to be dropping that. If it hasn't dropped already, it'll be dropping very soon after this airs. Right? Absolutely. Looking forward to everyone uh, reading charts and graphs and pages and pages of really interesting insights about where we can look forward to being once again, once this whole virus thing kind of fades away. Fantastic. And last, but certainly not least, uh, a returning favorite on the show. And uh, one time, one time sort of a senior emeritus reviewer at No Proscenium, and now the editor of We Like LA, Juliet Bennett Ryla. Hey, Juliet. Hello. I am also coming to you from Los Angeles. So close, and yet so far from Catherine, actually. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and for me, like, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, like, normally... So, like, the version of the show that should be happening is we should all be, like, at my table. Like, Ricky might be on the computer, but the rest of us would be here, and we'd all be, like, getting drunk. Mm -hmm. Uh, But go to Jumbo's after. Yeah. (laughs) Shh, don't let everyone know where I live. (laughs) (laughs) I don't live at Jumbo's. Just really close. Um, Still still haven't... Uh, we, who needs booze? We're already there. It's it's only it's it's noon on a Sunday here, and we're already well, the Sunday here is a good day to go to jumbos. Anyway, um, yes, it is Sunday. It is Sunday when we're recording this. Um, there's 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 a lot of stuff going on, and uh, we'll talk about like uh, Zooms a go go uh, later on. But I wanted to start us off by looking at some of the things that are actually uh, trying to reach past just watching people on a screen and either engage some interactivity or even better, maybe bring some stuff home. And without going to spoiler territory, Juliet, you just did something last night, which uh, is coming out of uh, the Geffen Playhouse. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So that's probably one of the more interesting things I've done virtually uh, they're now calling themselves the Geffen's Day House. And <laughs> this particular show, it's a magic show that you do in your house. And I, I guess what's interesting about it is that before it begins, they send you a box in the mail and they tell you not to open it. And it's full of props that you're going to use during the show. So, Like they tell you like, not telling... to open like the outer, like even the outer package you're not supposed to touch. Like you just, it comes and... You open the shipping box, okay. and then inside the shipping box is the magic box. And also um, a sanitary wipe, which seems uh, to be an extra layer of caution, I suppose. Um, oh, they, they sent one? Pardon? Did they, did they send a sanitary wipe? Yeah, it was like outside of the shipping box. So it felt like if you were worried that someone had touched it, you could sanitize it. I, I mean, I wasn't that worried, so I didn't do it. But I mean, it, it no, was kind of cool, I guess. Um, yeah. No. If you're, if you're, uh, I, I, any mail that comes in, I give what I call uh, the three-day decontamination fermentation. So, like, I might open up a box, but then, like, I'll set it aside, wash myself down, and be like, "All right, I can play with that in three days," um, just to be on the safe side. Because the last thing you want is to, the last thing you want is catch this stupid thing because. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I, 
I like when it seems like people are taking it seriously, even if I, I mean, I just set the box down on a table and I left it there anyways. Um, so it didn't really matter to me sanitizing it, but I do appreciate when it seems like people are taking it seriously. Yeah. Um, and then you, you open it when the show begins and there are items inside and you'll be instructed on how to use those items throughout the show. And it kind of, it combines the tricks with a narrative. Um, I would definitely say it's more of a magic show than a narrative, even though those two things intertwine. Uh, I definitely liked it. I definitely think you have to be the kind of person that enjoys a magic show. If mm. you're the kind of person who's sitting there being like, I know how you did that. I'm not impressed. Um, it's probably not for you. Um, I know how I did that. Cause I just did that. See, <laughs> cause yeah, it's one of those things where it's part. like, yeah. if you're going to be uh, negative or skeptical about it, or if you're just like, like, I'm definitely skeptical, but I like tricks. I think they're fun and clever. Um, if you don't like that sort of thing, it's probably not going to appeal to you in any way, shape, or form. But uh, if you do like that sort of thing, it's pretty fun. And one thing that's kind of interesting about it is it is so dependent on the people watching it. Because mm. um, they tell you how to use the props. And if you screw it up, you screw it up for everyone. Um, oh, wow. You know, there were oh, definitely... No. <laughs> There were definitely some people who just did not follow instructions. Um, and then it was just kind of like, okay, well, they didn't do what they were supposed to do with their items. Uh, but for the most part, I would say there were 20, not 25 people because it is per household. So some people were alone. And then there was one family of six that had all been quarantined together for several weeks. Um, and they were all watching together. Wow. So I'm surprised they didn't like 25... kill, kill each other on screen. <laughs> yeah. There's 25 different Zooms. Um, they tell you to stay in speaker view, but I think at certain times it's more fun to look at gallery view and see the looks on everyone's faces. Mm. Um, so there's 25 opportunities for someone to not follow instructions and screw something up. But I think for the most part, everyone did follow instructions. And I think th I think the best tricks came through. Um, and it was fun. It was a good diversion for an hour. I, I like it because you had to do something with your hands. So you kind of couldn't, you couldn't trail off and not pay attention to it. Um, I thought it was pretty fun. Yeah, had the... you seen any of Helder's work before? I had not. Um... Ah, got it. Yeah, he's um he. So way before um Derek Del Guardio did in and of itself, Derek and Helder did a different show in New York called Nothing to Hide. I'm not sure when Neil Patrick Harris got involved, but like that was the first time I had heard of either of them. So I've kind of been like following them off and on, and then when this like kind of escape room in a box thing got announced i was like oh wow this is like really innovative and i think that's another thing that he's known for is like even when he's doing his proscenium show it is a lot more inventive than your typical stage magic show mm -hmm. there is one trick that i obviously won't spoil but i will say most most of the tricks i'm like i don't i don't necessarily know exactly how you did it but i know the framework in which you did it um which doesn't make it any less enjoyable i appreciate that but there is one trick that uh i guess i'm just totally not sure how it was done um I, I guess i can't say anything more about it without spoiling it but it comes in like the last quarter of the show and yeah i still don't i still don't know how i did it especially especially virtually no that's, that's good thing. that's that's fine yeah you don't because you don't want to seen... you don't want to you don't want to give up give the ghost as it were but like i mean it's good to know i mean that's the fact at all that like a moment of wonder can still be, can be created and can be created with like the tools that we have at our disposal. 
right? Like, I think that's been the thing that's been most uh, depressing about all of this is just to have so many of the tools we rely upon for connection, for creating those 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 moments of wonder that we we live for in immersive and experiential have just been straight up ripped away from us. And to know that, you know, all it takes is a box full of props and a video feed and you can still have some kind of wonder is actually really reassuring. So the present Geffen Playhouse, a.k.a. Geffen Stayhouse, uh, has been extended to August 16th. So that's great. Yeah, it looks like they're going to be running this for a while. Oh, wow. That's... Yeah, they sold out pretty quickly um, of the first two sets. Um, which, yeah. I it's actually one thing that I've been thinking about with these virtual shows. Beforehand in LA, you were just competing with other Angelinos. Like if you wanted to go see The Nest, you were just competing with everyone else who also wanted to see that show, which was already tough because you only had two people in at a time. And now you're competing with everyone in the world because they can all log in virtually and see the same show. Yeah. If you've got a limited supply show like this one, um, well, it's like there was, there was a show I was at, uh, you know, last night and, uh, you know, you could see, you could, I saw some people who I recognized from LA. It was a New York based show. We'll talk about it a bit as Eschaton. Um, and then there was also people like I did not recognize. So I knew people were coming from like all time zones or people who were like, there are people who look like they were coming from China and it was, it was kind of wondrous. It's also weird to be doing something that's like got supposed to have a nightclub vibe when like it's bright sun outside. Um, but we'll, we'll get into that one in a second. Um, the other thing that's been having a, a moment, at least in the past couple of weeks has been uh, the ARG world. Like that's, straight up exploded ricky i know like you did some notes beforehand you said like you haven't done any of them because of the time commitment thing so actually i want to start with you who hasn't done them has anything <laughs> i've, has I've any... tried i've You've really tried, tried. okay um, see the thing is I, i'm a big fan of args and normally when there's a million things going on in life an arg is a fantastic escape because it is that alternate reality that like you can layer into all of the other things that you're doing but when the rest of life has been kind of stripped away and I'm left with like, oh, I can just binge watch this TV show or dive into my catalog of video games that I've been like stockpiling and never playing. Suddenly, you know, sitting on Instagram and just watching some posts fly by, I'm like, that is the normal right now. Mm. That's when I want to kind of get away from. So uh, that combined with the fact that I'm not the biggest fan of, of puzzles personally, um, and, and that a lot of ARGs just kind of favor, you know, we're going to move fast and we're going to feature, you know, these five people who are doing everything makes it really challenging to keep up with when I'd rather just kind of flip on Netflix and zone out. Yeah. Well, also, I tried to catch up with Arcana and it's just like me hunched over my iPhone scrolling right. down Jade's account and like pinching and zooming to see like the tiny letters <laughs> in her art to unscramble something and i'm like i don't know if i'm actually having fun right now <laughs> oh no absolutely Julia. i mean what, what's interesting like if 
even before this whole virus thing, like the ARG world is vast. It's it's a lot more vast than any, you know, immersive groups. Uh, you know, it, it's on YouTube. There's a, a Reddit that every day someone's like, here's a new ARG. Here's a new ARG. And they're all crazy complex. And so, you know, I don't know that anything that I've seen since the virus has shown up has, has really uh, jumped out as like, ah, this is totally new. It's just coming from new groups, which is great. Um, but it didn't jump out at me as like, I got to do this because this is cool and different. Also, Catherine. are they all like horror, dark, heavy themes, right? And I'm like, I don't even know if I'm in the right headspace for some right. creepy stuff right now. Well, I wonder if that's, I wonder if that's just a, a function of the sort of the neighborhood we live in, right? Like the people who are adjacent to our world, um, Although then again, like, you know, what 10 parcels, which was had started up before uh, before the dark times, uh, you know, that is that is the the king of creepiness right now. Just like here's a box full of weird dolls delivered to your house. And first it was Michael Anderson and then it was Kara. Um, so get those people a, a Clorox wipe. I'm going to wipe that doll if I dare to touch it. <laughs> Ugh, just, just waggy. Juliet, what about you? You've, I know you've been, you've been poking around at some of the, some of the args. Yeah. Um, so I played Saturday morning, 1988 to completion by myself. Um, and I actually like that one. It is a little creepy, but it's not, it's like stranger things. Creepy. It's not like a seven creepy. Um, mm. And it, it ends well. It's it definitely turns out like it's less creepy than it seems like it's going to be. And it's pretty quick. And you can do it on your own time because it's just one person that's DMing you on Instagram. So I liked that one the most. Um, I've kind of been playing along with Arcana and then the one that's coming out of the, the escape room, the basement. What I find is that I'm still at work every day. So I usually start my day at 8.30 and I don't get to end until Garcetti, Mayor Garcetti is done with his briefing and then I usually have to recap that. So I'm at work longer than I would be were we not in a pandemic. And so I can't really focus on these games during the day. And by the time I get to actually look at them, most of the puzzles are already solved. What I do like is that they're solved in a Slack or they're solved in a Discord. And so if I actually wanna take time and do a puzzle, I can do that on my own. If I look at the puzzle and I say, oh, I don't like that kind of puzzle or I don't have time to Photoshop all of these pieces together or whatever it is, I don't have to because someone's already done it. Uh, and to that end, I do think the Arcana narrative is really interesting. And they actually have done a couple of clever things some of it revolves around pieces of Los Angeles history, and I was really impressed that they actually got an L.A. reporter who writes about weird Los Angeles history in on the game. I don't know that you're actually emailing with her and not like uh, one of the creators or something who's pretending to be her, but you do find an article and it is written by a real reporter. And I like that layer. I like how that overlays on top of real life. Um, but yeah, I guess I'm just in the same boat as Ricky where I just really don't have the time and I really do need the walkthroughs because sometimes I'll wind up three days behind on one and then I, I, there's no way I'm going to catch up. Yeah, that's well, maybe we can pivot back into the, the 1988 one because how does that work if it's, it's, it's one person at a time? Do you like, do you set up a time to do it or do you like 
reach out to them and like once they're ready to play with you, they play with you. Cause I'm, I'm really curious about this idea of an instanced ARG uh, because I tend to find that that's like in all the ARG stuff I've tried to do over the years, all the ARGs, all the arcs, the, the fact that there often is like, Oh, here's the, here's the five main character player characters and everyone else is kind of an extra. It actually gives me bad flashbacks to a proto LARP we did after watching the Three Musketeers movie where we were trying to do a Three Musketeers role-playing game with like 20 people in this big house that we had access to. And like five people wound up playing like the fighters and the rest of us were just like hanging out in the living room. Like, I don't know what we were. We were pretending to be like scullery maids or like uh French aristos or maybe scullery maids and French aristos. And we just got like terribly bored because we were not the main characters and the game master could not, didn't have ways to like keep us entertained. And so I just get flashbacks to that every time I try like a big, big group ARG. So yeah, how does the, how does the 88 one work? So you sign up for it. Um, I can't remember if I just follow, I know I signed up for it in some way. And then the person just DMs you on Instagram. And at the appointed time. Pardon? At the appointed time? No, just whenever. Like you'll just randomly get a message from him. Uh, the character's name is Philip. And then it, you kind of do it at your own pace. Um, he'll check in with you and say, like, hey, do you have anything for me yet? And if you do, you respond. If you don't, you can say not yet. Um, if you need help, like there was one thing where like, I just didn't have time to solve the clue. And then he's like, oh, I think I just remembered this. And it was like a, a hint. Um, and I, I liked that it was at my own pace and it wasn't very long. And when I was done with everything at the end of the day, I could sit down with one of the puzzles if I wanted to, or I could save it for the next day. And there was no one else involved. It was just me and this random person. And I could tell yeah. that it was a real person because I also played subtext and subtext is uh i guess you do it mostly over text and email and the character you communicate with you do over text and it's very obvious that it's a bot like at some point right. he would say here's a puzzle can you help me and i would say okay i'll let you know when i find something and then he would text back no i'm serious please help me and it's like okay i just said i would help you but <laughs> i understand i didn't i didn't give you the keyword you're looking for and you're just a bot so yeah it was, it was just obvious it wasn't a real person yeah. and with 1988 it did feel like a real person i'm pretty sure it was and i just liked that i could do it on my own time and it just felt like i have specifically reached out for you to help you're helping me we're working in on this together and that was it yeah i think that's that's something that i think a lot of people should start studying like how to thread that needle because there's just been so i mean arg and arcs are you know they're 20 years old next year right like i believe the i believe the beast came out in in 2001 um maybe even came out in 2000 i don't remember when ai i came mean that's out. that's when that that's when i played uh majestic which was you know a, a the classic example of an instanced arg that yeah. was just way way ahead of its time so yeah. i think there's room for something like that to to exist today yeah yeah, no, I mean, and and well, and that's one of the interesting things about that world is that yeah, like you had Majestic and you had Cloudmakers kind of hit roughly the same time, 
and people did not know. I mean, Majestic was something you bought. It was from EA. People really didn't know what to make of it. People, you know, they didn't really know how to market it. Um, and then CloudMakers was free. Uh, and I think, you know, and it became, you know, intensely popular amongst the people who played it and really like defined a generation of, of game makers, right? I mean, we're we're still living in the shadow of that in, in so many ways. I mean, no Persinium probably wouldn't exist without that game having having existed. Uh, and I didn't even play it. Uh, but just like the people who influenced, you know, me afterwards were, were big players of the beast, but it, it set this model of it's a group think thing and the pressure, the social pressure to stay involved and stay engaged and to be the one who, who to be as active of a player as you can be, as opposed to the model of majestic where EA was trying to deliver value for the money that you were feeding them. Um, and yeah, I think, I think Ricky, you're right. Like the, the time for that has, has come. In fact, uh, I think we've, we've missed the opportunity a couple of times at this point. I, I also would, would oh. Oh, um, go ahead. We Ricky. actually talk about majestic in class mm. and, uh, yeah, professor Tracy Fullerton, I think was very heavily influenced by her experiences playing those two like proto ARGs. And the reason that I remember this is because she talked about how they had to cut it short due to 9-11. So you're right, right. it was 2001. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I actually started playing Majestic uh, a week before 9-11. And of course, Majestic started with its, you know, blurring reality that the studio that created Majestic caught fire and the game was shut down. And then it went from there. That was part of the story. And then 9-11 mm -hmm. happened and it actually shut down and it just threw the whole thing for a loop which was unfortunate timing. Yeah. Well, and if you know, legendarily, that's the wrong word, but like uh, it is, it is well known that like a branch of the players of the beast of cloud makers uh, decided to then try to solve nine 11 um, and, and, and treated, treated it as uh, as like another quest and which sort of presaged the kinds of things that were going on years down the road um, in Reddit. Like when the, when the Boston, marathon bombing happened right like suddenly people are are treating it like an ARG or you know one one looks to one looks to you know QAnon and all that stuff and conspiracy theories like that that giant groupthink brain happens and uh, you know injecting meaning into every available surface um which you know <laughs> doesn't anyway doesn't, yeah and, and maybe and maybe doesn't make for the most uh, satisfying single player experience is what i'm saying well, so, I, mean, so like I would people, I, people play for different reasons right like are you trying to escape reality or are you trying to make a sense of reality or are you just trying to play a game and that's where you know the different mechanics sometimes fight each other and that's where i get lost in a lot of args like i was trying to play along with arcana and even though up front they said uh, this this does have puzzles. You don't have to play them to enjoy this. I found that without the puzzles, there wasn't much else to do, or mm. it was just kind of like I'm just going to read and look at stuff. Which so it's like I I would want designers of these to think about ways players can engage that isn't puzzle based. Like there's a million game mechanics that are out there that aren't just strictly puzzles. Yeah, there's like there's a there's a balance between. Uh, action puzzle solving uh emotional action uh and and lore in a really good 
alternate universe, right? Like when you think about some of the grand franchises, they give you a lot of ways to approach. Like some people become fans of something because they play the video game, some because they watch the anime or the movie or they've been watching the television show or they've been reading the books or they're reading the comics, right? Um, and I'm not just talking about, you know, the one everyone thinks I'm talking about. There are plenty of franchises that uh, adopt that that pattern um, but maybe have like a, a core or a dominant, you know, platform, right? We could think of, say, you know, Mortal Kombat. Right. Like that's a franchise and Mortal Kombat's got a bunch of stuff. It's had all those things, It's had feature films, a television show, um, animated stuff. I'm pretty sure uh, comic books. Absolutely. And, you know, the core one is the video game. The video game's the real one. Um, but you can engage if you're not good at a fighting game, but you like the vibe of the world, you could just dive into the lore using uh, another another aspect of it. I, and I think that, you know, what I'm always looking for in one of these things is, is something that isn't going to be all consuming on, on an exterior clock, but that if I wanted to get completely lost in that world, not only would there be like some Wikipedia thing I could do a deep dive on to absorb the lore, but I might encounter a character from that world, uh, but wouldn't necessarily need to, solve a puzzle in order to have the most, you know, complete interaction. All right. Um, speaking of f franchises and stuff with a lot of lore, uh, Ricky, you and I did uh, Snowpiercer the other night. <laughs> there's there's yeah. a transition for you. Great segue. Loved yeah. it. Yeah. You know, what, I looked at the card. did did Snowpiercer? What does that mean? Uh, well, you know, I mean, look, Catherine. Sometimes they're safe. No, um, no, uh, just a little, a little, a little class warfare role play. Um, no. Uh, so, you wanna? Do you wanna set this one up? Do you wanna explain what happened the other night? Because you're the one who uh, posted the uh, the Variety or Hollywood Reporter article about the show into into EI. So, you, yeah, you go for it. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, the, the notion of a Hollywood premiere is certainly something that's been going on for decades and decades, and there are usually big lavish uh, events that it, it, these days have included more and more things to do and see and performances and spectacle, and those things would be captured and shared online and go on, you know, report reporters would write about it and this and that, all in support of the, you know, the IP or the show or the TV or what, uh, the movie or whatever it is they're promoting. And of course, these days with us being all at home, you can't roll out the red carpet literally and throw a big lavish premiere. And so the TV show Snowpiercer that, uh, as we're recording this, officially debuts today uh, through, I guess, what they were calling uh, via a partnership with uh, Little Cinema, the, the immersive group, uh, I think out of New York. Uh, yep. They were doing an online premiere, a virtual. They were dubbing it the first virtual immersive TV show premiere. Um, which and I think unto I th itself is a really interesting notion. Yeah. Well, and I, th and I think, and, and accurate, right? Like this was definitely first of its kind, uh, total experiment. Uh, you saw the dress rehearsal and you were also there on opening night, correct? Yes. And it, and it, you know, it's interesting. I mean, the way you phrase it, you were, you were there on opening night on, on some level. I do feel like it, like I would not have, I'm out here in Philadelphia. I would not have gone to a Hollywood premiere 
for a TV show on TNT, but I kind of feel like I got roped into that somehow in the last minute. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. That so you know, there's that. Yeah. <laughs> and and what was so technically let's let's set up let's set up what they what they did. So there was uh, a website. It was a custom built website that had kind of a a, a very rudimentary Twitch like interface. There was a video. Uh, on the left-hand side, which you could maximize to fill your screen if you wanted to. And on the right-hand side, there was a chat window. Um, Now, because the whole thing was set up through a PR company, uh, people did not have screen names. You had your real name uh, or whatever the real name that you gave or the name that the PR company had for you. So when Graham Mason, the writer of the show, who was also the creative Orphan Black, when he's in there, you could see, oh, look, there's Graham, right? Like he's there. Uh, when the TV critic Liz Shannon Miller, who's an ex-housemate of mine, was in there, you could see her name. I saw your name. I was like, oh, Ricky's here. And so that that created the experience of you've gone to the event and you're seeing people you know and seeing famous people and even seeing people you didn't expect to see, um, which definitely that's that's a real beat from from going to like a premiere party. Um, and then they ran, like they had uh, Jennifer Connelly come out ahead of time, uh, right, right for like the minute one and set up what was going to happen. Then they ran the show and then they had, uh, David Diggs come out. Who's also the other star of the show and said, Hey, we're going to have a party afterwards. And then there was like a, a, a three minute countdown timer or something like that, or seven minutes. So it was enough time to like run to the bathroom, get what you needed to get. And then they started up. The after party, which was um, like five different rooms that they had set up, each of which had a performer in them. And the performers, and you can see some of this online, were they, they, it looks like the performers were sent lighting setups and green screens to work in front of. Because uh, mm-hmm. I saw a video of Lena Hall, who's on the show. She's a, she's a Broadway performer who's in the show who was doing numbers from her cover EPs in a room uh, uh, by herself in front of a virtual backdrop. But there's a video going around um, that I I think like her, her husband or something made of like going from like a room where he's watching on the computer and then taking his cell phone and going downstairs in the house and opening up the, the, the little screening room in their apartment that she had set up in. And she is in front of a green screen and about four or five lights and is and singing into a camera, and that is that it, with like a laptop on the side. And it's like that's what the setup was. Um, so they had like shipped out a kit uh, to for the performer to perform in front of, and that was happening uh, across a number of different rooms. Um, there there were passcodes to get into the different rooms that I was handed, but like that didn't seem to matter. Was that something they were messing around with during the dress rehearsal? Uh, no, the dress rehearsal was very much making sure that the rooms and the chat worked at all. Gotcha. <laughs> they, um, they, had, they had a lot of technical issues that night, but they managed to resolve them all in the span of 24 hours, which was phenomenal. I thought the actual event, uh, kind of went 
flawlessly. Like I didn't encounter any bugs or anything. You were able to click through the different, you know, train cars very easily. They had a nice dissolve on the web with like no lag, no issues. And, and you know, it, it emulated that feeling of walking from room to room and stumbling into, yeah, the performance from Lena Hall. Or here's a bartender telling you how to, you know, make a, a smoky old fashioned. Or here's a very strange meditative I don't know what performance and, and here's a, you know, a guy doing magic and, and things like that. Yeah. Well, and, and on the note of the smoky old fashioned, if you were part of the, the, the cast or the crew or the press, they shipped you out a box that was basically the swag box or items you would have gotten if you shown to the actual premiere probably. Uh, and they shipped you out two glasses, uh, some chocolates, a flask, and then they shipped out a second box that had all the booze that went into the smoky old fashioned. So like a 200 milliliter bottle of bullet, a simple, uh, a vial of simple syrup uh, that looks like it could be the coronavirus vaccine. It's one of those bottles. Uh, Maybe it is. I'll just drink it now. Um, Some bitters uh, and uh, a couple of sprigs of rosemary, which you're supposed to light on fire um, so that you could make the drink. And and there's, there's something interesting. It's, it's, there's something akin to the like the magic props of the present of getting you get this box filled with stuff and you're able to use a recipe to have the same physical experience that other people are having. Except um, that I did see uh, in the chat when the you know the the screening was over. And then the bartender came on and said, great, now you can, you know, come, work, make this drink with me. Half the people in the chat were like, way ahead of you there. We made it an hour ago. <laughs> yeah. I, there was enough to make a couple, let me just say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe four. Like, you could, you, right. could, you could make, you could, yeah. Uh, and it's strong, too. I do not recommend creating a double out of that. What's also interesting about this is, is, it, it wasn't Zoom. It was a custom website. You could chat in the text. Uh, and you know, I did manage to get into like, little conversations with people, uh, mostly just saying, hey, how's it going? Oh, cool, great. And then like it scrolls on. So it felt like being like in a loud room where you can't really right. hear what your friend is saying, right? So again, pretty accurate to like what one of those parties can be like. Um, but then it's interesting because it, it mirrors in some ways some of the stuff that's going on in uh, Eschaton, uh, which Catherine, maybe you can explain what that one is, because that's another multi-room video-based kind of nightclub experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's currently in previews. It's a nightclub that is open for exactly one hour every Saturday night, put on by Chorus Productions and Taylor Myers, who we had on the show a long time ago, veteran performer of Then She Fell in Sleep No More. There is a bunch of third rail and like ex-Sleep No More people in the cast. And what happens is you get a password to a secret website that opens an hour before the nightclub opens. And I, I think it's kind of like riffing along the lines of what you've been calling a recipe, Noah. Like it tells you nightlife attire is encouraged, get comfortable pour yourself a drink, make sure you've got your cell phone nearby, uh, make sure that your laptop is plugged in, um, you know, trying to get you into the mindset of your, this is an event, you're going to be entering an experience. Um, and then once the virtual doors open, there's a short video greeting from the host that sets up the framework about this shuttered nightclub and all of the citizens that, citizens that live in the nightclub are getting antsy and they really want to see you. 
Uh, and then you end up in this website where as you mouse around the website, different um, different layers kind of reveal themselves and you you enter this rendering of like a 3D room and then it asks you if you wanna go into this lounge or the white room or this other lounge and you click and it actually just launches you into a Zoom room. So there's a really interesting thing going on here where they've done all of this onboarding to try to make clear the boundaries of the magic circle. And unlike a lot of the other stuff that's been happening on Zoom, I think they've put a lot of detail into making you like priming you for the experience the yeah. way that they're framing it and just kind of making it feel like it's an event and it's only 60 minutes so you end up in a zoom room with a random performer and as you're taking in their performance could be comedy it could be a magic trick it could be burlesque it could be someone doing karaoke um, some of them are more engaged with the crowd than others. There are uh, people who are really just like an ingenue conversing with all of the people on Zoom. Um, but as this is happening, you've got the quote waiters and waitresses of Eschaton who pop in and out of each Zoom room. They don't have their cameras on. They just drop a couple links into the chat, um, encouraging you to explore the other rooms because they describe the experience as this maze of about two dozen or so Zoom rooms. Each one has a different experience. Each one has a different performer. Um, and you can really just get lost. Uh, I tried to go to as many rooms as I could in the hour that I spent. I think I probably only got to around 15 or so. One of them, um, the, the bit.ly actually took you to something that looked like a puzzle that needed solving. So it's got like a little bit of that ARG element as well. Yeah. But I just kind of bounced around to um, the the pole dancer and then back to a different room and then I found a DJ and then there was a chef and then there was someone telling jokes and then I went back to the magic and it was just this really wonderful menagerie of people who some there's some sort of magic here where they know how to perform over Zoom they know how to engage you and there's something really interesting about using Zoom in this unexpected way where there's a sense of discovery and, you know, it's, it's really difficult to draw that magic circle to shut out the outside world these days. Like people have got TV, pets, kids, um, you know, they're, they're all stuck in their households. You don't really feel like you can get transported to somewhere else, but this really did feel like I was able to be transported somewhere else. Um, and at the end of the night, there's kind of a video goodbye all the performers leave their rooms and it, it really nicely puts a, a button on the whole thing and because you can't see everything in that hour you're left wondering like what's next saturday going to be like um maybe i'll come back maybe it'll be different maybe i'll spend more time with the person who was cooking on camera or the person who was painting on camera or maybe i'll spend time with the exercise instructor um, just really interesting stuff that they're doing leveraging something that seems like it pretty kind of boring and corporate yeah the they've definitely done i did last night they've definitely done the best onboarding and offboarding i've seen like when the the closing video happened it felt kind of poignant and then once that video was off the the credits emerged like just like kind of faded in uh and and left behind the names of the producers and all the performers um it didn't link up who was in what room, so you don't really know who it was. Uh, but like, you you got your playbill at the end, which is a very immersive uh, theater type thing to do. Um, the 
the puzzly part I couldn't like quite crack. And so like I, I tried to like get into the secret rooms, but couldn't quite make it work. And I wasn't sure what I was doing or what I was doing wrong. And like I was let I, and because of that one hour, you definitely, there was a pressure to like, let me see, let me try and find where I belong. And like the only problem I have had at all with the whole setup um, it wasn't the website they built. It wasn't the performers they've they've brought together. It's just literally like Zoom itself sucks. So like every time you want to go into a room, you got to go back to the website. You got to type in the name of the room you want to go to, and then it flips you back to Zoom. Uh, and then if Zoom fires up and it wants to update, no, I don't want to update this time. I already told you that five times tonight. I don't want to update. Uh, and then, you know, it's got your default name. Like, no, I don't want everyone to see my name. I don't want my camera on. So just like Zoom gets in the way is the only problem with it. Um, uh, particularly because, you know, you want that sort of seamless. I want that seamless sort of like bouncing back and forth. So like I kept on bouncing back um, to the the mirror room where I think uh, Vivian was. And so she was singing a lot of standards and like every time I come back, she was in a different outfit, which was what was amazing. Like she had like a, a wig and she like throws something on and it was, it was really incredible. And then like I found one room where there was a girl with a violin basically doing a Henny Young, Youngman routine. And she seemed to have about 10 minutes worth of material. Uh, Cause I went in a couple of times and like it looped at a certain point, which is a total like, you know, sleep no more type uh, like maneuver. Like, Oh, that room loops. Um, but it was, it was good stuff. Like, legitimately funny uh and then she would like you know play the violin for emphasis and then do another do another another joke and i'm like this is great right like he's been reincarnated as like a 20 something girl uh what would be what's more brilliant nothing um and and yeah the vibe is the vibe is fantastic and i just found myself wishing that they had i found myself wishing that these performers had access to the Warner Media money so that they could be using the site that was built for Snowpiercer, right? Like that's what I that's what I really found myself wishing. One I thing found, that I did uh, notice is interesting is um, they can all see our names. So imagine like an immersive performer who already knows how to command a room, but now everyone's got name tags. Yeah, but it's also whatever name you give them. Ricky, you had something. Oh, uh, I, I mean, to the to the point of actually that as well, um, while hopping around between the rooms of, of the Snowpiercer premiere, uh, definitely that notion, like you were saying earlier, of sort of like stumbling across somebody. Um, I ended up seeing that, you know, Blake uh, Lyle was there also, and we started chatting separately on Facebook while it was going on. And we realized very quickly the the there's a need for that aside conversation, like where you can stand in a corner or whisper into somebody's ear. I think that that's one of those crucial elements that when you're at something live, even if you're technically maybe not supposed to be talking, inevitably you, you have these little aside, just sort of offhand comments with your friend or whatever. I think that helps bring some of that realism to the hangout feel of it. And then also on the subject of names, uh, when Lena Hall first began her set, um, it, it 
it wasn't clear actually when everything launched were all these recordings were these live but very quickly between songs she acknowledged people in the chat room by name and you know she said my name I was like hey Ricky thanks for joining or whatever it was very surface level stuff very like end of the ET ride at Universal kind of thing like thank you for coming Ricky um, but <laughs> it's it was still enough to make me realize oh this is live which yeah. inherently I think makes it cooler than just a looping video that could happen anytime. Well, and it's interesting you should mention that because the, the closing beat, at least last night for Eschaton, you know, there's a little bit of a poem that was essentially about, you know, the performers need us, right? Like it's, it's a lonely existence and they need an audience. And even if it's just a pair of eyes staring back over, over an led screen. Right. And, and yeah, there were moments during, during Lena's set when, um, it felt like maybe the chat went down for her because she was like, is anyone still out there? Right. But I couldn't tell if that oh, was, no. <laughs> I couldn't tell if that was like her doing a bit or if she just couldn't tell. And when I first fired up, uh, after leaving the main room and going to the bar, naturally I went to the bar first, you chat died for me entirely on that thing. Uh, but then I refreshed it and I, and that's when I started seeing people again. Um, and yeah, and like, you know, you could, you can do individual messages in Zoom. So Zoom luckily has that built in, but like it was, def I definitely preferred the experience of not being able to see, um, so, so we, let's, before we like break into like escape rooms and whatnot, cause if you want to talk about like that stuff, uh, Zoom is like the 400 pound gorilla, uh, cause it's sort of dominating 400. Yeah. It's a lightweight. Uh, it's, it's dominating a lot of the way people are delivering right now. Um, and I don't know, our, it, it can get in the way. So like Juliet, you know, you were mentioning with the present, there were, you know, 25 people and maybe a few of them like were kind of out of sync. Um, but like, were you finding it like distracting to be watching? I think you mentioned you liked, you liked using the grid view. Yeah. I just felt like there were moments where the trick was revealed in the person's home and not in the main screen. So mm. it was cooler to watch the people do the trick. Um, which is hard to talk about without giving it away, but, uh, right. I guess I didn't find it too distracting. I mean, there were moments when everyone was supposed to do the exact same thing at home and other people just didn't, or they did it incorrectly. And I think some of that was because he cut out for them and they, missed that instruction mm. um but it looked like the majority of people were able to follow along so i didn't find that too distracting i mean it was yeah. really no more distracting than being in a show where someone i don't know is talking next to you or uh, i mean talking throughout the whole show when they're not supposed to even though they've been expressly told to not talk that kind of thing Right, or like if you're in a movie theater and someone opens a bag of like like crinkly candy next to you, Ugh. that's actually more distracting than someone just missing an instruction in a Zoom show. And I guess the one benefit of that is that in a Zoom show, you actually can just mute someone. Like if anyone was loud or like, you know, a, a fire truck went past their house, the stage manager could actually mute them. Yeah. which was kind of cool. At one point I muted myself because my cat was screaming for attention. And I, you know, it was just kind of like, oh, that's distracting. I'm going to mute myself so no one has to hear it. 
Yeah. The, and we're, we're back in this mode, I think, of, uh, you know, that's that's a puzzle for immersive in general, which is what do you do with the audience? Right. Like, have you designed for them? Have you designed for them in mind? Um, I know I kept I kept my camera off during most of Eskton just because it was still light enough out and I didn't want people to see and I didn't bother to dress up. But there were also people who had clearly dressed up to be there that night. Uh, some people, some people look like they were trying too hard. Um, uh, and, and that felt like focus pull. And so if I saw someone who was like trying too hard or was like using a moving video background or something like that, I would just like minimize the thing. Um, and then there were other times when there were people and I was like, oh, you look interesting. And I, I was instantly like, oh, hey, can I message? I was like, do not message that person. Uh, but I could start to see like the vibe of like, oh, I could see how you could meet people, you know, if if you were in that mood. Right. Or if there was a space, I think the one thing Eskaton doesn't do is it doesn't give. Well, I guess I didn't spend a time in a room where people were like kind of talking back and forth because I didn't want to do that. Um, but did, Catherine, did you see any of that? Any yeah. kind of like social no, mixing? No, I, yeah, I did a lot of that in the dressing room mm. because like the host was asking for outfit advice, but also asking how people were, which was really nice. Yeah. Well, and I know like, I know Siobhan has been doing uh, a broken bone bathtub. She's been doing, uh, some shows. I think she had like a, over a hundred people in the show she did like on Friday and they do these like long, you know, kind of after after party things and like just lots of people talking. Uh, but again, like at a certain point, you know, the, the scale of this stuff. I mean, one of the things interesting about Eschaton is like, you might be only in a room with like four or five people. So if you had a conversation going on, it could be actually manageable. Um, speaking of four or five people doing something together on video, uh, escape games, they're not dead. Uh, Juliet and Catherine, I know you both have been have been playing some. Juliet, you've been what doing like a weekly thing of late? Uh I've been doing about two a week. I have a friend that's really uh into them. Stephanie, she you guys might know her. She did the props for this last run of the nest. Um she, escape rooms are her thing, and so she usually books us for about one to two a week and uh we've played quite a few at this point. And I will say they are not some of them don't work as well as others. Um, it's been really interesting to see what works and what doesn't and what feels fun and team oriented and what's just kind of frustrating. Is there anything that's kind of like consistently successful, like a, a particular kind of type of, of trick that people are relying upon to make it work? Or is it is everything just all over the map? So I think the two best rooms that we've played have been with a game master inside of the actual room that they have. Mm. Um, one of them was images. So it wasn't a room that they had. It was just a game master who led us through a series of images. They were like cartoons. Um, that was okay. And it was still fun, but it definitely felt like the sort of thing I could do on my own with any sort of downloadable mobile game. The mm. two that I liked the best, um, both had an in-game avatar who was equipped with a GoPro or some sort of camera who led us through the room. And so we were seeing what they were seeing, and then there were extras that we could look at. So we also had a video feed of the room, so we could view the entire room. We weren't dependent on what they were looking at. And then we had individual images that were close-ups of props. So if an item said something on it, 
uh, they didn't have to stand really still and try to get to focus. They would just send us an image of what they were looking at and we could look at that on our own. Mm. Um, I will say in my two favorite rooms, one of the avatars was a character. So there was this whole setup as to why he was in there, who he was, why we were working with him, and he stayed in character the entire time. And that was the most fun room that we did. Um, there was another room we did where the person also played a character. And I would say that room was less fun for me, and that's only because I didn't like the puzzles as much. Like, she was really great. Her character was great. She was funny. She was super engaging. I just didn't enjoy the actual puzzles in the room as much as I enjoyed the puzzles in the other room. We also did a game where the puzzles were great, but the avatar didn't talk. He was just like a, a silent, like a ghost moving through the room. And we had to be very deliberate with him and say, we want you to open this box now. And he wouldn't respond to us. If we had a direct yes or no question, he would give us a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Huh. It was a lot of fun. The puzzles were really cool. Uh, the theme of the room was fun. It was we were in a dive bar looking for the owner's prized bottle of Schlitz. So it wasn't scary. It was silly. Uh, I just think, I think it would have been better if he actually talked to us and we had a reason for why we were communicating with him. Yeah. Well, that that speaks to I think like the the larger kind of escape room universe divide between the people who are, you know, just really into puzzles with light theming, and folks who want to kind of get more of a of a of a narrative or kind of a performance experience out of it. And, and it's, it's, it's fair, different strokes for different folks. Um, but I think right now, the thing that's like most missing from our lives is contact with people who we're not living with. <laughs> right. Like, Oh my God, human connection. Yeah. Amazing. Like here, <laughs> here, here's a chance to like talk with someone you don't actually know. Holy crap. Right. And have a pretext. Right. Like, I mean, that's to like think about like the, the eschaton new thing. Like, I don't want to just jump into a room and start talking to a bunch of random strangers. Um, if it just because like, hey, how's everyone doing tonight? It's like, I don't know you people. But if it's like, oh, here's this thing we're trying to do together. Personalities start to emerge as you like see how people are doing things. And so you get a feel for like who you might actually want to spend time with. I don't know. I guess that's just like that's fairly normal. Um, but it kind of bothers me. Go for it. The, to me, that is one of the, the core elements of what can actually make, you know, translating immersive experiences into a digital format really shine is when you, you use that connection between, you know, you are a real person really sitting somewhere in the real world. You're on your phone or you're in your computer or maybe even in VR. And then on the other side, and what we're talking about here is real people on the other side as well. So you're connected via this digital interface thing. Just giving that thing a reason to exist rather than other than just it's the thing that's helping you communicate actually creates so much of a better experience in, in terms of like, you know, like we were just saying about the the escape rooms, uh, uh, having having the person be there as a ghost and just giving you the thumbs up. There's a weird disconnect there, but somebody to engage with and like gives you a reason why that camera exists. Just that small element is is such a big, powerful thing. I know when like roller coasters have been featuring virtual reality, you know, back when we could ride roller coasters. 
I always liked the ones that were like, all right, so this roller coaster is going to take you underwater. Now put on your scuba gear so you can go with us. Like, that's so much more fun than, all right, put on your VR headset. We're going to do a VR roller coaster. You know, it's like yeah. build it into the story and that facilitates that immersion. Well, I mean, that's that's one of the things that, you know, threw me out a bit of Rise of the Resistance, right, is, you know, they take all this effort to, like, build, like, like, you know, this seamless, you know, experience and it's story, 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 story for like, you know, 10, 12 minutes as you're waiting to get on like the the main ride vehicle. And then finally you're through and it's like, OK, everybody, uh, now buckle in. All right. Now I need you to tug on that strap. <laughs> it's like, no, well, lift up your hand with the right. It's just like I'm, I'm on Star Tours again, you know, like. Uh, they, and they've got to, right? Like they've got to do that. Uh, but, um, there's a little bit of like, isn't there some way for us to like, you know, have fun with it, right? Like make a little bit of a game of it. Um, cause yeah, like who wants to be reminded of the fact that no, really we're all stuck, um, in front of cameras. Oh, Hey, aren't we glad we bought all this surveillance technology to bring into our homes? Now let's see when we can communicate with each other. <laughs> right. right? Like, hey, it's good for something. Um, uh, I just want to say, Ricky, that that's a great point. And it really made me flashback to something that, like, the LARP community, Sarah Thatcher, Joanna Collingen have been saying for a while. Like, you need the alibi for participation. And I right. think the era we're going through now is proving this is just as true online. This is just as true remotely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing that I'm getting, I'm getting interested in is we're, we're limited with the tools, but like the essence of what is interesting about this stuff, like the core interactions, it comes, it's coming down to, you need an alibi. You want a human connection um, you want, you want some, some reason why this is happening. It doesn't have to be big or grand or serious, but there just, there needs to be some kind of tiny conceit to, to drive the, the fantasy, right? Yeah. Any of these, uh, any of these ARGs that sort of exist, like, uh, you know, when, I mean, obviously right now the, the easy go-to is like, well, we're all quarantined at home. So I'm a character and I'm also quarantined at home, but like, that's not necessarily what we all want to be thinking about. So, you know, yeah. Invent some sort of other little cool conceit that takes me away from that, but still gives me like, why am I texting with you? You know? Yes, please. More, more lighthearted content right. more comedies more stuff that makes you feel good not terrified yeah i think that's another reason why like i <laughs> i i avoid the idea of going to a room full of strangers and talking because then someone goes like oh well how's everyone doing and the answer is terrible and now i'm going to it's like you want i mean because that's how that's who i am as a conversation it's like don't ask me a real question you'll get a real answer and then you're gonna regret it um like <laughs> Ask me a bullshit question so I can give you a bullshit answer and we can have a good time. Um, I only prefer horror even now. It's it's all I ever prefer. It's my only aesthetic, I would say. Like, I'm definitely not playing Animal Crossing. I'm playing Doom Eternal and Borderlands and Grim Dawn because I don't want to relax ever. 
but even so i will say you know there's there's just such a cadence to an, a horror arg and there's just there's tropes and after a while they sort of get confusing and, and it's like okay well this person's stalking this person and this is really creepy and i i do think i do think if you're not going to do something extremely drastically different then yeah your horror arg is going to be like the next horror arg which is fine because i love them but i do think it would be fun to have something a little more cute and lighthearted right now for people who aren't into that yeah well or even just like you know to be just to be playing with the format right like there's, I mean, one upside to something that involves a limited number of people is, you know, at least right now it's theoretically possible. Like go back to that, that fact of like, you know, it used to just be, we were all competing with the people in LA, right. For those of in, in LA trying to see a show. And now it's like the whole world. Um, you know, if there's enough stuff out there, it won't, it won't necessarily be the same six people playing. Um, I mean, something that's killed ARGs over the years is that it would, you know, boils down to 20 people who are playing it. Everyone else drops off. And then you get this like kind of hardcore group that goes from game to game to game. But in a world where there's, you know, 10, 12, 20 games being played at once, you know, at a certain point, you know, the (laughs) FOMO gets obliterated when there's just a whole bunch of stuff to do. And the, the, patterns of the consumers get into quite a different mode. I mean, that's one of the things that's interesting right now is like we're seeing a lot of work. We're seeing new people entering in and, and discovering like there are people sniffing around this stuff who have, who've never sniffed around it before. Have, has anyone else sort of seen that? Has that been, that been true? I mean, the newswire bears that out. Just it, the indoor kids page is enormous but there were a lot of folks who wanted to take it slower and kind of feel around. And only now are they saying, okay, after a lot of thinking, this is the concept that we think is actually going to work well online, but I'm not going to put my show up until May or June. Unlike a bunch of people who I think were just racing to like get something out there. Well, and that's, and that's from the creator side, but like, uh, you know, Juliet, you, you run, we like LA these days, you edit it. And are you seeing your readers respond to this, you know, out of the box stuff? Um, Mm. Well, that's a little challenging um, because when I came on, I decided to take this job and I came on in early March. And so we haven't really had much time to develop what our new readership will be. before I came on board, it was very much an event site and people went to it to find things to go out and do. Um, and since I started, I've pivoted to hard news because that seems like what the times call for. Um, mm. And I've pivoted the events guide to things that you can do virtually or things that you can do while social distancing as we are allowed to go back and do them. Uh, and so it's really hard to see like how many new readers we're getting and if they're actually doing those virtual things. I will say that as someone who prior to taking this job was a freelance reporter for numerous outlets and then before that worked at LAist, um, I'm starting to see mainstream outlets run stories on concepts that I pitched them two years ago. Like, oh, hey, you should check out this virtual thing or whatever. And they were like, I don't get it. 
I don't get why anyone would want to do that. And now uh, they are running those stories because they're like, oh, now I see why someone would want to do that because they're trapped in their house. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a level of like, oh, I get it now that's that's changing things up. And we haven't even like, you know, touched on like the VR side of all this. Um, and then like, I know we've seen, you know, I'll say, I won't give like hard numbers, but, you know, the the newswire piece we ran for Arcana got about like 10 times the amount of traffic of a normal newswire piece. And I think that was like a bit of a combination of, you know, the creators were, you know, reblasting it, which is helpful. Um, and there's, there's a number of people who have like a following. And then the fact that like, it's not region locked, right. You know, like you don't have to be here to experience it. So that opened up the full range of the possible readership and, and viewership of NoPro. And then, Ricky, I do, what have you seen over in EI? Well, I, I do wonder. Uh, I, I, there, I mean, there's an obvious uptick in just about everything online right now, whether it's what we're talking about or just like like e-commerce is up like 17 percent over the last month. Um, you know, in terms of market saturation and and things like that. And, and I know of, a, of quite a few people who run various websites who are just like, yeah, our traffic is booming over the last couple of months because everyone has nothing to do. What I wonder is, you know, if with these major outlets covering, I mean, you know, no pro got mentioned in the New York Times because of uh because of all of this, is that going to stick? You know, when everyone gets to go back outside and go do real life things in real life, uh, are people still going to engage with these things? Or is this like a pastime right now? Yeah. I can say that I have already talked to several people who do want to keep doing these things, even after they can go out um, in whatever normal life is again. Um, I know the escape room group that I've been playing games with they are delighted that they get to play games in Chattanooga and other places that they would have never gone otherwise. Um, and that they can experience rooms without having to physically get on a plane and go to some other state. Um, and people that I've just been playing video games with online who before were people where it was like, oh, whose house are we going to go over to to play this video game? Uh, we've actually talked about how pleasant it is to just boot up, play the game we were already going to play online, and then when it's time to go to bed, our bed is five minutes away. We don't have to go home to take the dog out or feed the cat because we're already at home. And I think I think we will see some of those virtual connections existing, especially if you're making connections through these virtual offerings with people who don't live near you. So I think some of it we're going to keep. Um, I think there'll probably be a rush to go back out and do things when we're able to do that, but I think we will retain some of these virtual offerings, especially because it allows us to do things with people who don't physically live near us. Yeah. I think that's a great point. Cause like, if you think about, uh, there are places just, just from a travel standpoint alone, uh, and bordering on immersive, you know, I've seen like the Winchester mystery house put a complete virtual tour of the entire thing that you can click through uh, factory obscura did the same thing. And like, these are places that, I mean, I've been to Winchester mystery house, but I have not been to factory obscura. So it was totally cool to be able to virtually walk through there and be like, Oh, this is this thing I've always been hearing about now, whenever I am in the area I can go, but 
at least, yeah, the, the uh, people who maybe looked at these in the past, much like your former editors did, and said, you know, I don't want to put that online because it might take away from blah. It's like, no, it doesn't. It just broadens the reach of, of the availability of these things. Yeah, well, I think that's a big point there, you know, that people saying, oh, oh I don't want to give this away online. I don't want to put it up and then suddenly, like, you know, I'm not going to, people won't come to my thing. It's like, you know, Catherine and I and, and Will Cherry have been doing Supernatural, uh, which is you know, this VR, VR workout thing on the Quest. And, you know, there's they put you in these beautiful environments and uh, that are real places out in the world. And a couple of them that are like made up VR places. I don't like those as much. Um, so I'll be in one of those like real life environments. I'll be like, wow, man, I would love to travel here. Like I would like to come back. And it's like it's like seeing a photograph and being like, I would like to go there. I would like to go to the actual space. It's like the experience of like, you know, going to Batu, right? Uh, in in Disneyland. It's like, oh, yo, now I'm in Star Wars, right? You know, the, here's a real place I can go to. Um, you know, I was thinking about this last night of with Eskaton. I was like, I'm enjoying this enough that I would love to be able to run around this place for an hour. Like if it was a real spot, um, this would be fun, you know, to like encounter these people and see this stuff and do these things. Um, and it's, you know, we'll we'll get into some weird hybrids down the line where people have virtual versions of their real places and you know maybe maybe you know something like an escape room needs a different set of puzzles um okay but you know aside from that like the the being there's is the the a critical differentiator yeah, and I think we forget how blessed we are in Los Angeles because when I was growing up in rural Michigan, uh, I didn't have anything cool to do. Like, I think the town I grew up in still only has one or two escape rooms, whereas Los Angeles has, what, a hundred more? I, I yeah. don't even know at this point. Yeah. And a lot of times, if I post some article that I've written somewhere, I see people who live in flyover states say, oh, I wish I had anything even remotely like that here. And this is an opportunity for them to experience those things without living in New York or L.A. or Chicago. Yeah, it could wind up doing a lot of good for the market as a whole. Um, that, that'll be interesting thing to talk uh, with, with the squad about because then we're going to in the next segment, we'll be talking with uh, David and Lisa, amongst others. All right. Well, um, I've had you guys on for about an hour of our lives now, and uh, this is going to be like a mega epic show anyway. So we'll we'll leave it on that note um catherine everyone knows where they can find you and me uh ricky if <laughs> folks want to hunt you down where should they go uh yeah you can uh, follow us along over at uh pseudonymproductions.com or our alt url which is questionreality.com because that's easier to spell and then uh i'm on social media and stuff just look for my name All ricky right. briganti and you guys are gonna, you guys might have some stuff uh, brewing up in the in the not too distant future, if memory serves, right? Yeah, we've been working on. I mean, we're developing some long term things. Definitely, we're gonna be jumping into the digital world sooner than later. I hope uh, if we can get some things together and uh, maybe spinning up a, a podcast of our own pretty soon, which I'm looking forward to. All right. Well, oh we'll my keep God. back to podcasting, Ricky. The... Absolutely. I mean, it's been the five OG years, podcaster. so. <laughs> but you started way earlier. You started before podcasts were cool. I uh, yeah, it was within th four months of the word being coined, so it was pretty early on. Awesome. Nice. And Juliet, uh, where can people find you these days? 
Uh, these days, I am pretty much only at welikela.com. Um, it's a, it's it's may not it probably won't appeal to people who don't live in Los Angeles, but uh, if you do live in Los Angeles, it's news and things to do. Um, albeit all the things to do these days are virtual and or places you can go and stay six feet away from other people while wearing a mask. Um, and then on social media, I'm just JB Ryla. Um, I mostly just talk about all of the things from my childhood that I'm binging on TV right now. But um, if you want to talk about every Hellraiser movie, that's where I'll be. Nice. Hellraiser and Buffy confirmed. Very all right. Much, yeah. <laughs> we'll see everybody uh, in the next week. I want to thank Catherine, Juliet, and Ricky for being our guests in segment one. And now let me start fulfilling the promise I made at the beginning of the podcast, which is uh, telling you about the things that are going to be dropping soon. Uh, I'll save one more in between. Uh, I'm going to drop two right now. So first off, uh, yes, the industry report, which we mentioned, uh, we are tweaking it a little bit. not all of that has to do with the current situation. Um, most of the report was done beforehand. So uh, we've we've made some concessions to the current environment. But it was really a snapshot of where we were and a bit of guidance on where we're going to be going. But more the former than the latter for the most part. Uh, although, oddly enough, we're tweaking some of the, the, the suggestions and the guidance, guidance and the, the, the concepts we're sort of offering up. Uh, but they're unrelated to the the current circumstances. So that is now targeted, and I'm going to take a risk here and say it, that is now targeted for June 2nd. All right, so the 2nd of June is our target publication date. Uh, So that's your first uh, Easter egg. Next week, um, because June 2nd is not far from now, next week, uh, the day after Memorial Day, we are going to launch the beta of the Everything Immersive site. This is something uh, that a cat named Chris Grimm has been working on for us for about eight months now, and we've been talking about it for about better part of two years. Um, and he's done it all on volunteer time. Uh, this, this is a, a labor of love for him, much the way that so much of this is a labor of love for us, and maybe one day we'll be sustainable. We're about halfway there. Thank you to everyone on the Patreon for making us be halfway there. This is going to be uh, how we do the Newswire going forward. So um, it's going to be a searchable site uh, that will have all the Newswire stuff in it. Uh, We'll, in time, not immediately, but we're going to transfer uh, what we do on the Newswire at NoPro over to the Everything Immersive site. Uh, It's going to gain some more powers and abilities as we go on, a little bit more development. Uh, But it's really more of a of a full service one-stop shop. If you're looking for what is it I'm going to do? What do I want to do this weekend? Um, again, it's going to be beta for most of the summer, uh, because you know, (laughs) a lot of the features aren't going to be fully tested really, uh, when everyone's still mostly inside. So, uh, but it does mean that, you know, there's, there's some things in terms of the format that we're doing that's changing up and it's, it's a really exciting time. And, um, in the other timeline, I am just ecstatic that we're finally getting this out there. So uh, there, uh, that's one of that's two two of the things that we've got uh, brewing. As we look towards the future, 
um, there are going to be some positive changes. There'll be negative changes. I mean, the future, always in motion, is the future. And to talk about sort of where we're going, uh, we brought together Kevin Gossett of No Pro LA. Uh, Catherine came back around. And David and Lisa Spira of Room Escape Artist. Uh, because, um, you know, we wanted to uh, get outside of the, the no pro bubble and talk with uh, some of our friends who are experts in the, one of the largest segments of immersive being escape rooms. So uh, I hope this one uh, gets your brain spinning and gets you thinking about, you know, what needs to be done. Uh, and then uh, stick around. Uh, it'll be one more intermission. And then uh, we'll get into After Dark. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome to the section of the show that's going to be about the future. If we sound terse at some point, it's because we recorded about 30 minutes of the show already, and then everything crashed and uh, exploded after after two uh, internet recording things. So here's what's going to happen. We're going to do a quick round of IDs, and uh, Kevin's going to frame up uh, the, the, the big question we're kind of wrestling with right now, uh, and then uh, we'll just get right into the meat of it. So, uh, joining us from the East Coast today are Lisa and David Spira from RoomEscapeArtist.com. And to spoil this whole thing, our prediction for the future is that podcasting software won't improve. <laughs> That's for <laughs> damn certain. Uh, uh, coming back to the show uh, for uh, the first time in a while is our LA editor. Hello, Kevin. Hey, how you doing? Uh, and of course, of course, oh man, I can't even talk right now. I'm just like so frustrated about the past 30 minutes of our lives. Um, hour, really. Uh, Catherine, remember, you are executive. What is time? Time what, has what no is... meaning, even in podcast software. Hello, I'm, this I'm really, is Catherine. I'm, I'm really glad that I scheduled this for a, a, a two hour block. Who, who thought we were going to use it this way? Not me. I, I did. Um, all right. So uh, don't don't say it like that because uh, we did just fine yesterday. We had no problems. We only used forty five minutes of a two hour long block. Um, Kevin, you posted this question into our editorial chat, and I was like, "Well, we're doing the two hundred fiftieth episode, so why don't we do it then?" So give us the framing here. Sure. So the question was, when are you ready to return to immersive entertainment? theme parks, uh, escape rooms, kind of any type of thing like that, given the, the current world situation. Um, and what, like, I, as things are starting to reopen, I think it becomes a more prominent question. So it's like, when, when are you ready and what makes you feel safe about returning to, to these things that we love to do? So there's, there's three things I think we should like look at here. Uh, and, and we, we let ourselves kind of like mush them up a little bit in our last conversation. So I think this time I want to get us a little tighter. One, there's the heart of what you just said. When are we going to feel like we're ready to do this again? Um, and then there's some stuff around the actual structural guidelines about what people are going to need to be doing in order to get us there. Um, and, then there's sort of like the larger sort of cultural norms kind of conversation uh, and sort of the, the projections on the health of the industry. Let's start 
with where we are. Let's start, let's start in our feelings. Um, and so Kevin, I actually, this time, cause we had just done it in our previous recording. I want to start with you and, and getting into that heart of the question. Like when, where are you at on this? When are you going to feel like it's, it's good and it's safe to come back? Yeah, I think ultimately the answer is like, I don't really know. Um, I think as we're seeing things start to reopen, it's it's going to be interesting to see whether we hit a second wave of this or not. But it's it's kind of just re- like evaluating, reevaluating, and reevaluating again when you feel comfortable going to a place with a lot of people. And um, so I, I think part of what prompted this was hearing that like Magic Mountain was thinking about reopening, being like, kind of, hey, would I would I go? And like, what would it take for me to go there? Um, and then so and then I think something I saw recently is, is this article about kind of what, how this spreads and like where it spreads worse and what causes it. So the, the, the gist of the article was that in small enclosed spaces with poor ventilation, this is like, that's the worst case scenario for this, especially if it's got a lot of people in it. And then as you kind of get to bigger spaces or fewer people or more outdoors or better ventilation, it, it lessens the chance that it kind of spreads as rapidly. So I think that's easy to kind of look at I think especially immersive theater and escape rooms that in terms of that is is a lot of these are are frankly small poorly ventilated rooms where you're in close contact with a group of people and i don't i don't know it's like what do you feel safer like is it as immersive if you're wearing a mask if no it's safer it's like what's what's the break point in here in terms of like i just want to do this thing versus like is this the best experience for it and like where i think our audience is going to feel comfortable returning to that where our uh, company is going to feel comfortable putting this on where actors is going to feel comfortable being in close proximity to two people and i think attendees maybe can get away with a little more if you if you can work from home or something but this is an actor's livelihood so like kind of how does that how they balance their own safety and continued safety versus like some of these precautions they're going to have to take or not take or make those choices and i think it's just like a weird spot to be in um yeah, and the and the the thing with like performers or any kind of employees, you know, it, there's a there's a big difference between industries that are well regulated and have established unions and going to have people standing up for them, and for you know stuff that's independent operators operating outside of union guidelines, uh, and 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 maybe not have the resources to get things going. Like I know there's, there was a conversation going on at EI that's trying to start up uh, where, you know, someone's copying the fact that like, Hey, I used to be one of those producers who were like, look, I, I know you're sick, but can you make the show? Mm-hmm. Right. And like those days are definitely over. Right. Yeah. And, and there's, there's real questions around, well, you know, do you have a second shift? You know, do you, do you cast understudies on everything? Um, you know, what, what do you do? How do you, how do you prep for employees, uh, who, who, you know, may get ill, but like need the money and still kind of come in. These are some of the questions that we're facing. Um, and then there's some of the issues around the, the cultural norms of, of, you know, what are, what are the guests doing? David and Lisa, I know in, in their earlier conversation, you mentioned that, some of the some of the spaces are starting to come back. So like Louisiana is starting to come back around and in a few other states there's some reopening. Is there any 
preliminary sense of like how that's going? Uh, honestly, we don't know yet. I think everyone is just starting to open. And I have to imagine that as things start to reopen, going to escape rooms is not at the tip top of everybody's list. So I think it's going to be a slow reopen for most of these companies when they are able to finally open their doors again. It's not going to be like the faucet has magically turned back on. And that's definitely what we're seeing from some friends who own escape room companies overseas, where um, they started opening a little bit earlier than we did here. And it's not like the faucet turns on. People have to feel comfortable, and so bookings are slow. About about 50% of our website's traffic comes from natural search based on people looking for specific escape rooms. And I can tell you that we have not seen an increase in any of that traffic that we lost when COVID started. And that's mm-hmm. been kind of our, our low-key metric for this is how long does it take us to rebound to the traffic that we were getting when it comes to that, that natural search traffic? Yeah. I mean, something that's been interesting for us is the, the, the locus of what we've been covering has shifted to the remote stuff. And so we find things like, you know, a post about an ARG does really, really well, like shockingly well. Because it's something that people can access, um, you know, without any pressure. And we find that too. And we also shifted to covering a lot of the remote stuff. And so our, you know, traffic rebounded by covering those games. But we're specifically looking at our traffic that came from the type of searching that people were doing before as a benchmark. Yeah. Um, One of the... One of the questions, one of the things, it's funny trying to like reconstruct a conversation you already had. Um, there's there's some stuff in terms of the guidelines that are going to well guide people through getting everything back and rolling. Uh, one thing that we've talked about uh, at length is uh, the IAPA guidelines. Uh, we'll link those in the show notes. Uh, if you don't know what IAPA is, uh, IAPA is the big trade organization for the attractions industry. Uh, it is literally the global association of the attractions industry. They have a big trade show every year, uh, usually in uh, or Orlando, I think is when it usually happens. Um, and this covers everything from, you know, universal to your local water park to your local arcade. And so there's a lot of a lot of people are going to have been looking at that. There's a 36-page document that was released on May 1st. Uh, I was just down in the cuts on it uh, earlier today because I'm preparing for a meeting. And uh, it's it's extensive, uh, but there's definitely no magic bullet in it. it. A lot of it comes down to clean, clean, clean. Everyone should be wearing masks. Communicate really clearly with everybody. Um, one thing we didn't touch on and... David and Lisa, I, I, in our earlier one, and I think maybe we'll be able to cast a light on the kinds of things we were talking about without us retreading too much for our own sanity's sake. Um, the costs on sanitation, like things just got, it just got a little bit more expensive to run one of these attractions. Realistically, you're going to have to have masks and hand sanitizer and a lot more soap on hand. You're going to need to have rubbing alcohol and really you know, the way to go about this, as I understand it, um, is you need a mixture of 70% rubbing alcohol, 30% water, and that's what you need to clean things down. We're recommending that things that get handled readily 
and especially things that get held up to the face uh, in any way, um, peepholes, telescopes, microscopes, um, things that players commonly hold near their face just out of because they think they're supposed to, even if they aren't. Um, these are things that we're heavily recommending get cleaned every single time. The harsh reality of this is that you can't you can't fully clean absolutely everything in these games um, between every play. You can't even do it all the time. You'll damage the scenic. You'll damage the game if they, if if you if you're cleaning them twelve times a day with with you know seventy percent alcohol. Uh, and then there's the stuff that you genuinely can't clean. Like if you have a giant sand pit because your game is in Egypt, you're not cleaning the sand. So there is there are going to be limits. And really what we were talking about before was that we had um, we put together a piece with uh, with a doctor. And one of the conclude, you know, one of the big conclusions that we landed on was that ultimately it is going to be incumbent upon the customers on the players to have some discipline you you know you you can't things cannot be so clean that you're you know you're going to be free to touch your eyes or not wear a mask or put your hands in your mouth and the way that i kind of think about it is that it's like driving you know you can put in seat belts and airbags and you know all and anti-lock brakes and all the different safety features you still have to follow the rules. You still have to drive carefully. Otherwise, you are going to die or kill someone else. Yeah, I think the I think the or kill someone else is is the the really critical part of this, right? Because I think too much of the framing these days is really about like, well, like I'm 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 not going to get sick, right? Or like I go I like you know, went to the cafe the other day, like you know, pick up some cookies, you know. And I'm messed up and I'm using hand sanitizer, you know, and I'm being like, you know, you know, super cautious. And there's three teenage girls standing in the, the, the entryway, masks down, talking with each other, two feet apart, clearly friends and not sisters. Um, and it's like, yo, like, I get it. You think you're immortal, but you're also a disease breeding factory. You know, <laughs> like you, you might be fine, but everyone else around you. And then they walk into the place and they're like, they don't have their masks on as they're trying to order. And like, all I can think about is just how this cloud is spreading. And luckily I don't get the anxiety I used to get when being outside and, you know, in these scenarios like i know what to do and i also do a lot of mad dogging of people if they're not having their masks on so let me tell you those girls put their masks back on uh but um yeah like people are not thinking of other people and shifting those cultural norms um i, I actually think that's like the biggest part of the work ahead for us as a people and definitely us as an industry and us as like a hybrid industry is getting the cultural norms shifted because, you know, we may not get a vaccine quickly. And even if we get a vaccine that works, <laughs> we're going to have people who refuse to take it because, you know, they don't want to be geotagged by Bill Gates or whatever the hell they're, they're on about right now. Um, you get other people and there's going to be some people who are immunocompromised who cannot take it. Right. Um, so like, it's not just for flippant reasons, uh, that someone might, you know, not take one of those, take, take a vaccine. Um, you know, the damn thing may mutate. And then just on top of it, this is a dress rehearsal. Like 
some event like this, you know, could happen again with a different virus. And really how we shift, I mean, one of the reasons why, I think we all know this, one of the reasons why, you know, Singapore and Hong Kong and South Korea did so much better with this than the United States did is that they already had experienced SARS and they had gone through some of this drill with MERS. And so they had infrastructure in place and they had some cultural norms around what do you do when a mystery illness pops up, you know? And, you know, I used to look at footage of of people, you know, in China walking around with face masks all the time and going like, oh, I know the air is bad, but like, come on. And now I'm just like, oh, no, they got it right. (laughs) Like, like, I don't know. I don't know if I'll. Yeah, I, I don't know if I would go to say like Disneyland two years from now without face mask being a core component of what I was doing. I don't know if I'd want to be in an escape room if I walked if I walked into escape room right now and I saw the employee checking us in uh, didn't have a mask on, I would walk right back out. I would feel the same way. Ultimately, for me, to the to that question of how do I feel, like when when am I ready to go back? I'm ready to go back to an escape room far before I'm ready to go back to the movie theater, a large concert venue, a concert venue, uh, you know, an, an amusement park, even a mall. To be honest with you, um, that's. For me, it's all about scale. All of this is is a giant exercise in risk management. Unfortunately, risk management is actually a really hard thing for for people to to rock. It takes a lot of it takes a it takes a lot of attention and, and understanding to even begin to do it. And frankly, I don't understand how this spreads well enough. Um, so right now, my feeling is like I'm staying in. Uh, we're in an area that has been hit among the hardest in the world. So we're kind of on a slower slope out of it. Yeah. I, I think that's a really good point too, is like, I don't, the, we don't know if enough about the virus and like the guidance is always changing and updating. Like at one point it was like no masks. Now it's like masks. So it's really hard to kind of keep track of what's going to keep everybody as safe as they need to be in the next few months. And I think it's obviously it's a fast moving disease and it's hard to kind of, pin down exactly what what needs to be done exactly now from my perspective the lack of understanding for me is just a function of the act of discovery part of the problem that we have societally is that lack of understanding and like lack of immediate understanding is perceived as everything is you know you can't trust anything everything is wrong there there are no rules you know the teacher didn't show up and it's 15 minutes after class, we all get to go home. So there are, there's a struggle between being able to embrace the uncertainty and just ride that wave versus wanting the uncertainty to be completely certain. And we don't get that right now. Yeah. I think one of the really difficult things is for people who are running an escape room or looking at like reopening, you know, uh, an immersive theater piece, you know, just not knowing how to keep their employees, their staff, um, let alone the patrons safe, uh, makes it really hard to make that choice. I mean, you know, I don't really want to see people trying to reopen stuff until 
we've had at least a couple of weeks. I mean, one of the nice things about the way California is doing it is we have phased rollouts. So we just hit phase two, uh, the day we're recording this. <laughs> and we started the original recording off by saying, like, we're recording this on May 18th. So just so you know, whatever we say right now is liable to, like, you know, by the time this airs on the 22nd, completely out of date. That being said. No, I'm um, really impressed that you're recording NoPro a full year in advance now. <laughs> no, I said the 18th and the 22nd. It's 20, yeah, that, that's, that, that's a year. That's a year by, by by today's standards. Oh, right. Sorry. I got really confused. I thought you were like, oh, what did I say? Like the 18th and the 15th? Like, what did I do? No, it was like, March was a year. April was like half a year. We don't know yet about May. It might be two years. I mean, look, these months are so long. You'd think they would have they released like three Star Wars trilogies in them. Uh, but anyway, um, so uh, yeah. The point being that we have no idea what's coming next and that, but, but we do start to know some things and there is some phase rollouts. And so in California today, and the reason why I mentioned the date, it was like about three hours before we recorded this, it was announced that now that 53 of the state's 58 counties can move deeper into phase two. And that just means that, you know, more places can do takeout and a couple other retail options can open. Phase three is when you'll get to see movie theaters reopen uh, and maybe get to see bars reopen. Uh, but it's still going to be all of these sort of um, requirements for social distancing and mask wearing and taking precautions. Those are staying in place pretty much indefinitely. Um, and we do have that, you know, we have the pit, the pushback on that. We have the people who are refusing to wear masks, the people who are saying that they'll give up their Disney annual passes if they have to wear a mask at the Magic Kingdom because that's not magical. Um, and that kind of rolls in line with, you know, the person who decides that it's perfectly good to, you know, and the thing that worries me is the person who decides it's fine to drive drunk so long as they have their seatbelt on. Right? I don't know what the exact equivalent of that would be with COVID, but you know it's out there. I mean, right? that's that's just not wearing a mask right now. Yeah. Yeah. Or it's wearing the mask wrong. I'm sick. I'm going to go to the show anyway, but I'm going to, I don't, I'm inconvenient. So I'm going to make my nose poke out of the top of the mask. Yeah. I think Catherine's got it. It's, it's the nose poking out or it's the people who are like very defiantly like cutting open masks. See, I'm wearing a mask and it's like, oh God, it's just. I needed a straw hole. You don't understand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah it's just like it's 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 amazing it's really amazing Catherine how about you what what's going to be what's going to be the tipping point for you when or, or what are you looking to have happened before you're like yeah now's now's the time that it's okay to, to to go out and go engage I mean to be honest um as someone who's a citizen of a university community that's almost a hundred thousand people uh, my university is still not saying exactly what's going to happen, if it's going to be a fully online fall semester or a hybrid. Um, luckily, I live off campus, but for my classmates who might be packed like five people to an apartment with a shared kitchen or bathroom, like there's, mm. I'm, I'm looking at my university for some guidance as I see that like the CSU state system says fall is going to be online only. Uh, it's looked like the University of California system is leaning towards that. And, you know, the university has resources. They've been doing a lot of their own research, but 
you know, in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, what's my university going to do around um, temperature checks or forcing people to use hand sanitizer to literally walk through the gates? And how are they going to be doing contact tracing? Because as multiple articles have pointed out, what is a campus but an ongoing super spreader event? Yeah. Well, and and something we've we've all talked about before, you know, there's there's some of these things like the temperature check. I mean, if someone's got a, if it catches someone with a 101 degree temperature, it's like, yeah, okay, <laughs> good. Let's keep that person away. Although also you were close enough to that person to take their temperature. So congratulations, you just got exposed. Um, there's a little bit of you know, security theater to this stuff. And, and, you know, the IAPA guidelines, for instance, are not recommending that. But then you turn around and look at the California guidelines for restaurants, and not only are they recommending it, but they spent graphic design resources uh, to make a little logo of like a hand holding one of the one of the gun thermometers to someone's head. Um, the, these there's there's still to Kevin's point, there's this sort of like mixed mixed messaging going on that I think you know keeps people in this state of of um, of uncertainty. And and I gotta to, to David's point. You know, I gotta, I gotta admit, like, there's, there's a bit of frustration on my part that people don't see the opportunity to act responsibly as like an expression of the burden of, of freedom, right? Like, here's this thing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you an ocelot, <laughs> and if you don't feed it and treat it right, it's going to eat everyone in your household, like. You know, unless unless you're Joe Exotic, you know what to do with that animal, which is find someone who knows how to deal with an ocelot. Um, oh my God, Noah, you did not just compare this whole thing. Oh my God, <laughs> I did, I did, I did, and I've only watched like the first episode of that god awful show. Sorry if you like the show, but I'm, I don't. Like I'm impressed that you were able to work Trashy Tiger Guy into this. I know. I didn't expect it to happen either because it's not it's not really part of my uh my thing. I did see a cool video of people lassoing a tiger in Mexico today though. So it was like taken from a car. It was dope. So, um but- so on on the subject of security theater, one of the big topics that was brought up in the escape room community was the installation of UV lights to um to to to, to sanitize the spaces. Yeah, can we talk about this a little bit? Oh, because like I am I, deeply confused about this. Oh, I, I am, I am, I am, <laughs> I am so ready to talk about this because I dove down a rabbit hole. So basically, there, UV is a very good is a very good cleanser. Like the sun really really cleans things up quite well. Um, you can inst- it is possible to create UV lights that will kill um, microbes. Um, the thing is. Most of the UV lights that are being sold on, say, Amazon or Alibaba to do this are fake. They're just LEDs. They're party lights, mm-hmm. um, which is something I, I also they're selling black lights and saying that they're. Yeah. Well, they, but they're they're even less than black lights, to be honest. But uh, or sometimes that's what they that that they might just be that. Um, a couple of years ago, I did this deep dive piece on on lasers and the lasers that are used in escape rooms and how they're all manufactured in China and you can't trust the specifications that are printed on the packaging. They're frequently more powerful than they say they are um, in the no. case of lasers, which is a, a different hazard. Um, but basically, you just can't trust the manufacturers here. And your average 
consumer, even your average business, has no way of running lab tests to make sure that the lights that they purchased um, would do this. So you end up with a couple of tiers of problems. First is that the lights probably don't work because they're basically bullshit. Um, But then you have the second tier problem of if they do work, if you have the right lights, um, you need to set up really strong fail safes to make sure that they cannot be turned on while people are in the room because they are dangerous. So there's this, it, it, ultimately it's this, like, this is, this is, it's a catch 22, except like both options and, and both options yeah. are bad. Well, um, I know that there's, I know there's some companies out there that are like kind of like B2B focused on the attractions industry, right? Because this is something that's, thing, thing sometimes we forget in the immersive and even the escape room world is that, you know, the attractions industry is big and huge and also there's a lot around video game arcades and so i know that some of these companies are targeting at arcades for like what do you do how do you sanitize um and also i've I've been looking into it it's crazy um there's a company that does just vr headsets uh they say they do up to 100 masks per hour per unit it's like four at a time and it's the I think the reason why it might actually be legit is because it's extremely expensive and it's a custom piece of hardware, like in this giant case. Yeah, and there and there may be some things I would think around props, right? Like I think I think someone I would be very wary, David, as you seem to be, about someone installing UV lights in their escape room to be the thing that they turn on like once someone's left the room. Uh, in order to wipe out all the germs um, if for no other reason than like just angles, like what if, what if something got dropped into a corner, right? And like, you're not, you're not, the light isn't getting everywhere. Right. You know, and, and then like, yeah, fail safes. What if someone turns it on while someone's in there? That's no good whatsoever. I um, I'm, I'm with you. And my, like my feeling is like these things, ultimately will in the case of vr there there is some tangible benefit because those things literally have to be sterilized before you put like you have to clean a vr headset before you pass it to another person especially now and you also have to put it on your face yeah Yeah. but a lot of this is just about creating false senses of security and that's that is where i i i think that it's it's dangerous you know and it's and when you when you use the phrase security theater that's the that's exactly how I feel about it. You know, when you look at the studies of the TSA, like weapons mm-hmm. and stuff get past them all the time in controlled studies. Oh, my yeah. feeling my feeling is that the reason why air travel has been safer since 9-11 is that pretty much anyone knows that if you go and do something stupid on an airplane, everyone on that plane is going to tear you to pieces with their bare hands. And that's, yeah. that's the societal shift that came out of 9-11 was that you can't screw around on an airplane. If you pull out a knife or something, everyone is just going to assume that they're dead anyway. So they're just going to go after you. So, so, I mean, will we hit a threshold here with this where people kind of feel the same way? I don't know. Cause like I'll be going through target and people will not be obeying like the, the, the one way traffic, which mind you, they do a very bad job in a lot of the stores of, of, you know, giving the correct pathway or you'll have someone running through like maskless or whatever the hell it is. And I will feel a great rage boiling up. And, and 
I mean, is that what we're going to hit here? Is that what we're going to have to hit here in order to sort of get some normalizing and people taking responsibility? I mean, for me, I think a lot of this is around really clear communication. And um, it's important to communicate exactly what the policies are in a way that that makes sense and that it isn't theater and that people can understand whether they're looking to avoid going to somewhere that's going to require this type of policy or they're looking for something that's going to have this type of policy and um, what aligns with the way that they want to participate. It's, it's kind of like puzzle design. If you design a puzzle and your audience can't solve it, you, dissolve, you designed a bad puzzle. It's on you to go and fix it. So you have, you have you know, kind of three groups of people right now. You have people who are just paying so much attention or just understand how this is working and they're doing it. You have people who want to follow the rules and can't quite figure them out. And that's on the person communicating the rules or the organization. And then you have the people who don't want to follow the rules. And that's a whole separate thing to unravel. But my guess is that is a statistically smaller group of people by a very wide margin than the conglomeration of the people who are following the rules and the people who want to follow the rules. I would guess most sure. people are in the middle. Yeah. They would like to, but they can't figure out how. Yeah, well, that's it. Yeah. I mean, well, and I think we know from between polling and some of the anecdotal evidence I've been you know, gathering from like cashiers and whatnot, and then, and just in, 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 and the fact that like the numbers in a lot of places are going down, right? Like the vast majority of people uh, are, are doing what's necessary and taking responsibility to be safe. I think the, the, the funhouse mirror of broadcast media and social media turns everything into a two sides argument. So even if you have one side that's very small, as long as they're vocal, they seem to be like half the country, right? You always see that on Facebook. Half the country is doing this. It's like, no, statistically it's 15% of the country is doing it. No, but it's half because the story is between the 85% of us who are not being assholes and the 15% of us who are being assholes. Um, and, but that's, that's the two sides and the percentage doesn't matter because the percentage is not the perception. Um, here's something that I've been thinking about, particularly because people have lost so much revenue on the owner side of things and on the creator side of things. And also a lot of the patrons, a lot of the folks who are fans of this stuff, you know, they've taken a hit on their incomes in a real way. I mean, we cannot discount the fact that, you know, there's, this is the largest amount of people who've been unemployed since the great depression, like the biggest one since world war two. If not, I mean, Powell came out this weekend and was saying it's the biggest unemployment jump since world war two without a doubt. Are we going to see prices go up or go down because of this? You know, where, where's the comfort point going to be for people? Or will we suddenly be seeing that the sort of mass market stuff that we were all so happy to see, is that going to be delayed to the future while people focus on premium experiences with low throughputs? that can turn the profit needed to keep people in their mortgages. I mean, I think kind of maybe all of them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think I, this is something I think about a lot in terms of like immersive theater is like the cost and like where 
I don't know. Uh, for for my money, a lot of these these experiences are fairly low cost for the involvement and like making sure the actors are paid. So I think it we should probably expect prices to go up a little bit and making sure people can get paid who weren't able to when we can restart. But obviously, there's the flip side of that is that probably a lot of people that attend these shows may have been out of work or, or furloughed or underpaid or whatever right now because they can't get the full hours because their job it is not aligned with the times. Um, but I, I, and I think we probably discussed this in the year end podcast is like some of these like more pay what you can options where it's like maybe some people that can like pay more can, can offset some of these, these lower ones and make sure it's like people can attend these shows, but also the people who are working them or running them can, can get paid as well. Um, so I wonder if we'll, we'll see some more shifts in like kind of creative and like innovative payment structures um, as people kind of return to these, these entertainment options. But it always seems like that middle size of immersive theater show has always struggled to find its footing. Like when you're not at where the others are scale, but you're also not at sleep no more scale. And then mm -hmm. people are like, well, I don't want to go to the 50 person show, but I might feel safer if it's 20 people. Oh, and then you need to add some more understudies. Oh, and you need to add a bunch more cleaning supplies. Oh, and you need to spend a lot more time communicating all of the restrictions and rules and regulations and extra precautions you're taking. And you're, you know, you're doing this from your, you're bootstrapping your show still. So I'm going to piggyback on that because what you're talking about is a lot of the stuff I've been thinking about. Um, I'm going to preface this by saying any of my predictions, I don't know what's going to happen because I don't think the, the world has never seen so many governments manufacture so much money in such a short span of time. And so there are also underlying questions about what happens at a, at a global level. But setting that I mean, aside, I, I wish I could get one of those zero percent loans right now. Oh my yeah. god, I yeah. would, I would, I would just be, I would take out a million dollar zero percent loan. It'd be awesome. Oh yeah, I, I, I tried Let's to refinance our mortgage, and they were like, "No, that doesn't actually reach you." Uh, uh, but yeah. um, anyway, the my biggest Let's concern. Start our own bank. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Desert Island. It's the Nelson Spira Bank. Got it. Make your own government. Hey, if so, Dana White can have Fight Island, we can have Bank Island. So my... <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. My biggest concern here is that whenever we see something like this, where you end up with large amounts of, of regulation that pour out of it, um, they're not going to help the small businesses. They're mm -hmm. going to help big businesses. The cost base of doing, doing work is just going to increase, either by necessity or by regulation. And my biggest concern here is that, you know, when, when your ma and pa shops close, whether it's immersive theater or it's, it's restaurants or, you know, hardware stores, your publicly, your publicly traded companies are the ones that win out. They're the ones that have the financing to absorb it. And then the extra costs become, a, you know, dig the moat around them a little bit deeper and make yep. it just that much harder to compete with them. So my concern here is that we are, and, and we're, we're just going to make it harder. It's just going to become a steeper mountain to climb to actually create something. And that's, well, and, that's the worry. Well, and I think, I think it's, I think that's a, a valid worry to have 
I think that the thing people aren't thinking about that they need to be thinking about is what other businesses, what other, particularly in entertainment, what other forms of entertainment are in the same boat? So I was in a meeting at the Department of Cultural Affairs. I did a meeting with something like 50 or more, uh, you know, arts organizations here in LA and like, you know, theater companies, dance companies. And a big question was on their, on those folks' minds was a lot about the sanitation stuff, right? And how much more expensive it was going to be to clean their theaters, to clean their rehearsal spaces, to, you know, processing people through what sanitation companies were reliable, right? Because some of the stuff gets like outsourced questions around like, well, how do we secure PPE, right? So if you look at some of the guidelines that are coming down, there's a lot of guidelines around the idea of, you know, um, yes, your employees don't need to have full PPE, but if there's a biological accident, i.e. someone vomits, uh, you're, you're going to need to have the PPE on hand. Okay, but you can't get good PPE right now. You can't get N95 masks. You can't get gowns. Those need to be at the hospitals as well they should be. So like, how are those going to get distributed? Who's going to have the ability to get those? Uh, just, you know, there's just, just, just mountains of questions around how this is going to work. And I think one of the ways that it's going to have to work is industry organizations are going to have to become the frontline purchasers for this sort of stuff, the organizers for these kinds of efforts, um, you know, to, to help shoulder some of the burden of these structural costs that are going to get embedded into it. You know, it would be great if there were enough UV, you know, prop cleaning machines that actually worked, but finding a way to get those into the places they need to be without it just being like, well, the void can afford it, right? But like, you know, or maybe like a big escape room chain can afford it or Disney could afford it. But to your point, David, the mom and pops couldn't afford it. The immersive theater folks couldn't afford it. But there are ways to create entities that exist uh, for those independent operators, um, whether they're creating co-ops or they're creating trade organizations where that equipment can become available to them or those resources can be available to them and, and pooled uh, or, or, or services bought in bulk. People just need to think differently about how they do it and think about, all right, it's not just me operating an escape room. It's also the person who owns that storefront theater or the music venue that's down the street. I think it's a great sign that the music venues have come together. Um, I can't remember the acronym right now, but there is a lobbying group for the independent venues these days. Uh, I'll, I'll drop that in the show notes and to see that rise up in the face of all this, as people kind of organize around the idea that, that, you know, they don't want the independence to disappear. Uh, and that's, that's going to be a big part of what the story of, of whether, whether artists and small businesses in this space survive are really going to come down to whether or not they're able to organize in, in the months and years ahead. Absolutely. And uh, the restaurant industry, I think, is maybe coming to this conclusion a lot quicker than some of the other mom and pops because they realize they don't have representation in Washington, you know, advocating for them. And they're looking to see, all right, if, you know, each server and chef needs X amount of gloves and masks, where the hell do I even get them? I mean, in, you know, back at the napkin math, right? Uh, 
12 escape room slots, your room is open seven days a week, and every single person of the, you know, every party of four wants their own fresh set of gloves. Like, that's so many gloves. Yeah. I also think even if you start to organize right now, it doesn't solve the near-term problem of there just isn't enough of this stuff. Oh, you not know? at all. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the funny thing is, you know, a year ago, everything was like, get rid of single-use plastic. And today it's like, wrap everything in single-use plastic. <laughs> Condoms for everything. Yeah. Straws. Straws are back in a big way. Hell, in the IAPA guidelines, it was like, yeah, sell them the souvenir mug, uh, you know, cup with the unlimited refills, but you wrap it in plastic and you tell them you're not putting liquid in this. Here's a paper cup. Just show us that you bought the thing and you'll get another paper cup. So, like not a yeah. refill. Like that's the thing. We're going you're going to go like the days of Coca-Cola freestyle machines are over, people. And I'm really sad about that cuz those machines are rad. Yeah, I'm pretty but, sad about that too. But like, it's done. It's done. No more getting this. Like I have stood at the Chipotle soda machine and refilled my, my Coke Zero, drank it down and refilled it again while standing at the machine for the last time. I don't, my work has one and I'm, I'm bummed about that. Yeah. <laughs> it's over. It's well, K-Cups from here on out. Yeah. Well, yeah. They took... I don't care about them taking away my freedoms, but they took away my freestyle machines. That's what I care about. Call it freestyle they took machine. Goodbye, yeah. Sizzler. Goodbye, Sue Plantation. No more buffets. Um, no more candy shop in the McKittrick. I mean, come on. Ooh, yeah. Bye-bye, candy shop. Bye-bye, candy shop. Well, I, I started going back when they didn't even wrap the candy, so it was already <laughs> gross. Let me tell you, what the taxidermist sometimes did was to put something in his mouth and put it back. No. Uh, I think that bit's coming out of the loop. Yeah. Well, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of, you know, things that are gonna gonna a lot of little loops are gonna get rewritten. Hey, we gotta wrap up soon. Uh and I don't want us to be a total bummer. <laughs> The entire time. I look forward to all the medical dramas. Every immersive theater show is going to be about a doctor no, or a hospital. No, no well, please. I, I was really excited because we're gonna we're gonna have all of these like lab games where you're you're creating the cure to the virus in escape rooms, and they're gonna they're gonna diegetically justify your mask, and it's gonna be great. Oh, you have one hour to solve the pandemic. Your time <sighs> starts. Now, yeah. I, I mean, mean Lisa and I play that game. Lisa and I have, have 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 created so many cures for so many viruses, and we're really peeved that no one called us. <laughs> We've been don't practicing about that too hard because that's for how years. Yeah, I know. We joke we joke about that, but that's also that's how QAnon started. Um. <laughs> no. <laughs> positive 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 notes here um is there is there anything from the current era from this raw now that we're in um that you think is going to have legs uh in in a positive sense like something that's going to come something that's happened already um that's that's a good thing going forward yes i think um that the limitations that have been put on some of these businesses because they can't be open are a path forward in creativity. And we've seen all sorts of ingenuity as people figure out 
what they're going to create in the moment now to either engage their audience for marketing, to keep people remembering that they exist, or to make a little bit of cash on the side before they can reopen. And I think that that has opened up new mediums to people and um, new ideas. And so a lot of that won't continue when people can go back to running their primary Uh, in-person entertainment, but some of it will persist and morph into new and exciting and creative things. I'll, I'll add on to that. I hope that one of the lessons that people are taking away from this, and some people are learning this lesson in a very, very tragic way, but I, I hope that the, a little bit more long-term thinking and thinking around resiliency, financial, uh, you know, financial and supply chain resiliency. I'm hoping that these ideas start to sink in for more people uh, because I have been, re- I have found it really heartbreaking watching lots of people um, enter into the escape room and, and immersive theater business with, you know, a couple thousand dollars, a dream and some moxie and honestly believing that they were going to make it. And that doesn't really work for most people. And my hope is that if, if, if anyone learns a lesson out of this, it is to really do a little bit more homework and to dive in when it's safe. The, the, the metaphor that I like to use is if you take a first aid course, the first thing that they ever tell you, if you see someone who's injured, isn't to go check on them or to help them. It's to check the scene and make sure it's safe for you to go. And I would really like to see more people checking the scene a little bit more before they dive in and, and, and invest, you know, their life savings in, in, in a business. The funny thing about this era when it comes to the business stuff is what it's done to me is shown that even the big businesses were operating with like two months worth of capital. I can say um, I loved being able to try like a scratch murder mystery test tonight thing from a company in London, even though it was 11 a.m. for me. Um, I think it's reignited interest in telephone-based theater. Um, I did a experience called the Telelibrary. It was phenomenal. I've raved about it to basically everyone, reviews up on the site, and it was from a performer that I hadn't interacted with before that I didn't really know about, so that's great. And then selfishly, uh, for everyone who can get an Oculus Quest, um, just lots of the no pro writers and other friends are picking them up and we're ever so slowly finding good ways to hang out in VR, which in my case usually involves tagging a building in a graffiti game, but that's a discussion for another day. Kevin, what about you? Yeah, I think my answer is actually really similar to Lisa's. I think kind of the creativity that we're going to see kind of coming out of this, especially in the immersive space, like we've seen more... ARGs cropping up again because I think it's kind of an easy way to do something remote or I haven't been able to get tickets or see it yet but the the present like it's it's a magic show like in your home via zoom so obviously I think some of that stuff will probably kind of change as we can go back to in-person events but I wonder if there's there's ways to continue bringing some of these things that people have, have tried or experimented with during this period into some of the more like in-person events or utilizing them in the lead up and kind of a better blending of some of these these techniques as people experiment with them and find that they are effective and and can and can drive a lot of what some of that in person theater does. I'm going to go with 
I've been seeing, I've been seeing the community seem to like weave itself a little tighter. Uh, and particularly for folks to really take, take, uh, joy and solace and other people's successes and to uh, other folks stepping up and, you know, putting resources out there for people who need it. Um, it's been really great on the Leia side, for instance, to see people reach out to us and say, Hey, we're going to do this show. Um, we're going to charge this much. We'd, we'd like to give our proceeds to the, to the, to the support fund that you guys put out. And that's just absolutely wonderful uh, because, you know, not a lot of people have money to put into the fund. That's one of the reasons why we've got the fund is because people need to take money out of the fund. So it's got to come from somewhere and then people are offering that up. And that happened, you know, vampire.pizza did that. Um, and they've been opening up, you know, all over the country. They, only the, the LA stuff goes, goes to Leia, but it's been, um, I don't, I don't think about it a lot. I don't dwell on it. I don't, I don't, I don't focus on it, but it's, it's become part of the background and uh, it, it, it no longer surprises me now when I see like a bunch of people like, you know, jumping on something and being excited. Um, and, and that that is still going on and that now because things are delocated from physical space that you're able to have that happening across the country or across the world. Um, I hope, I hope that, that kind of awareness of the breadth of the of the creators uh, and of the breadth of the fan base uh, that we keep that going forward. That'd be really nice. All right, you guys got to run. Uh, once again, I want to thank everybody for uh, for doing this segment. So we managed to get it done. Thank you for yeah. having us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks back to David, Lisa, Catherine, and Kevin for holding down the fort on the middle section of this 250th episode of No Persinium. Ah, we're uh, we're past the two-hour mark. Okay, so we got got about you know a bit more than an hour left. It's, we're good. It's coming in under four getting close to four, but coming in under four. All right. So slightly more, we can be conservative with our estimates here, unless I riff for too long. The next segment, look, <laughs> let me level with you. Things are not easy right now, right? You, you, I know you know that. I know you're experiencing that. And there are definitely days there are definitely days where I'm just like, why, why bother do anything? Why bother do anything? You know, Netflix is right there. And look, there are some hours when that happens. And that's how you wind up watching Man of Tai Chi, uh, the Keanu Reeves directorial debut, which is on Netflix and is awesome, actually. It's really cool. Like, if you like kung fu movies, uh, <laughs> sounds like a line from airplane. Uh, you're going to like this. Uh, and it's very clear that Keanu Reeves loved making the matrix movies because, uh, there's some definite callbacks, uh, in the cinematography in this film. So, uh, check that one out. Man of Tai Chi. I'm surprised we all missed it. Uh, cause you know, nah, it's there. Go look. That being said, um, I knew that 
part of what we would do for a 250 no matter what would it bring would have been to bring bring the gang together uh and to also you know reach deep um think about the origins of this stuff think about why we do what we do and right now i really needed that i i needed to be reminded of why we do what we do because it's not always with me it's not always in me um because we were we were so we were so close to cresting the hill uh we've been pushing a rock up the hill for so long and then to just have it roll back on us and i know a lot of you are feeling the same way and and when i'm in those modes uh i i got to go to the people who reliably remind me of of why and for me that set includes anthony who's been with us from the beginning of this journey and Zay, who was the, the first person to kind of hop on board and, and made it possible for no pro to be, you know, intergalactic as it is now. And Brian Bishop, who, uh, you know, is one of the people that I became fast friends with because of this world. Um, like, you know, didn't expect that when a publicist introduced us to each other, at um, at a, a VR event, maybe it was even at E3, I can't remember, uh, for like five seconds, that somehow, you know, years later, we'd be who we are and who we all are to each other. Um, it's no coincidence that these are my about two brothers. <laughs> um, but like I said, we don't talk about that. Um, we, we talk story... We talk about the current moment. We talk about the future. This goes all over the place. This is truly an after dark. We're drinking. Um, what, what I find here is what I needed to find. And I knew I would in part because Zay and I for the past month have been secretly recording a podcast <laughs> about the 2017 DuckTales show. Uh, it is titled... Uh, webbed toes, the DuckTales footnotes. And I'm going to drop the first three episodes this Monday, Memorial Day. <laughs> so dropping almost four hours worth of podcast content on you today. Well, on Monday, I'm going to drop like another three hours on you. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's a show for people who've watched and, and love the 2017 DuckTales and like to think about story and storycraft. Uh, I had watched the entire season. Uh, I was rewatching as Zay was watching for the first time. And we get to, I think, the first like nine episodes of the show over the course of those three episodes. Uh, so it's kind of got the pace of, uh, of, of the, the, uh, the Watchmen podcast uh, that uh, Damon Lindelof and uh, Craig Mazin did, uh, which is also a really great one, uh, a great podcast uh, by the creator and uh, of a great show about the show deconstructing it. So um, there's there's a anniversary present for you. Um, and I offer all this up in the spirit of, um, of, of remembering why we do what we do and what makes it matter. And uh, I hope that you find some of those feels uh, like I did in this. Here we go. Thank you.
I've summoned Craig. All right. I've summoned Craig and um and Okay, and, as somebody that's in here for the first time, this is terrifying. Like this is the, the bear, <laughs> like all of this is very scary. <laughs> like suddenly a bear appears and goes, now reporting. I'm so. like our bear Robert Robot overlords. I'm like very upset, but okay. That is the voice of Brian Bishop. Hey Brian. Hey, how's it going? It's going all right. I haven't ordered my uh I haven't ordered my shirt yet, but but soon. Tell 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 Zay and Anthony what 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 I'm referring to. Okay, well this uh, begun, by the way, just so everyone knows, like this is this is now this is now this is an after dark this bonus after dark episode at the end of the 250th episode. There we go. That's how we're framing it. There we go. Uh, well, yeah, this morning the uh, uh, Trent Reznor via the Nine Inch Nails Twitter account uh, announced that uh, whoops, there was going to be a tour later this year, which you know obviously is not happening given the wonderful world we are currently living in, um, but merch had been uh designed so they were putting up uh shirts for the shows uh for a tour that will never happen uh with all the uh you know the proceeds going to basically food banks for the areas that they were like going out to so la san diego etc cetera, etc cetera. um the shirts are awesome here's what's scary noah about an hour ago i was like wait a second there's like locations and numbers i should check them to make sure trent reznor isn't starting an arg in the middle of the pandemic <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he is, but wow. I check. <laughs> we all find ourselves coughing in the same COVID ward together, but rocking out. Oh, no. <laughs> ward Zero. That's the name of the new album. The name of the new album is Ward Zero. We've cracked the code. Uh, that's appropriate for this. Uh, well, I just love the idea that we're going to be able to buy a T-shirt that is effectively a piece of merch from an alternate timeline. <laughs> I want that. Whole... Wow, that's a... That's that. That's a Noah Nelson special right there. A Nine Inch Nails concert team from an alternate timeline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you will you will know who the true Nin fans are by the ones who are snapping those things up. I need to do it. I, I... Man, that's that's one of those stories that you're gonna get like a few words into when you're telling your grandchildren, and they'll already be bored. Let me well, put the album on. Kids. Hold on a second. I'm, 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 I'm already. already they still have the t-shirts for the alternate reality Watchmen era Nine Inch Nails band available on sale. Just saying, throwing it out there. Even better. That the, I would buy. The, the, the Nine Inch Nails multiverse. Uh, the man who said that I would buy is Zay Hemsbury. Hey, Zay. Hey, Noah. Hey, Brian. Hey. And uh, rounding out our little, our little troop of chuckleheads tonight is uh, Anthony Robinson, who has been, uh, who's been with NoPro uh, the longest of anybody who isn't me. Hello, everybody. I'm fixing a drink because it's an after dark. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've got the, uh, I've got that new Belgian triple. I haven't made my way all the way through the second six pack, but I am on the second six pack now, you know, which isn't bad for, for one quarantine. Um, this is episode 250. This is the after dark part of episode 250. And I wanted to talk to these guys because um, we've all been on in various stages of this kind of a, a immersive journey uh, w with each other. Zay, of course, held down the fort in New York for a very long time. Uh, Anthony was with us from the jump and going on adventures in the first year of No Pro with us. Brian, uh, who you know, was at the verge for a while and covering things and hoping to break this into the bigger world and then writing on theater macabre. And then he did a stint at the X lab. So he's been, he's, he's had like the, the biggest journey of, of all of us. And then, you know, little old me 
on my uh, on my chaotic quest. And um, if you have something beverage wise at the moment, uh, and I know you're not driving, uh, let's uh, tip one out a little bit because uh, 250 episodes of this ridiculous thing. So cheers, gentlemen. Thank you for joining me on. The cheers to that. Cheers. 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 Good clink. I don't. Uh, <laughs> I I've never. I think I said it when I did episode 100. Like I've never done 100 of anything. Cut to 150 episodes later. I've never done 250 of anything. <laughs> um, there's a there's a really specific I never question later for I never ever. Oh boy, <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Okay, maybe. Um, <laughs> um, oh no, yeah, we're 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 in it now. It's only eight o'clock. Has anyone else found that that they're? Oh, oh no, it's uh, it's eleven o'clock. Actually. Oh, I know it's eleven o'clock where you are. <laughs> um has anyone else found that they're punchier earlier than they than they used to be i'm falling asleep at like 8 p.m like i'm not gonna lie when noah was like scheduling this he's like oh what about this time I'm like i cannot do 8 to 10 because i will be asleep because i have no sense of the space-time <laughs> continuum uh and everything is just is just bonkers at the moment yeah i mean i'm i'm holed up with my partner and her mom and her stepdad in Connecticut and they all go to bed by about nine. And that is the only time that I can be by myself with vodka and Star Wars and books and whatnot. And, and of late I've been making him, making mad ducktails uh, to, to, to that mix. Woo woo. The, uh, the fruit of which is going to be uh, in the podcast feed uh, probably this weekend. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I had, when I saw the 250 was coming up, I was like, we got to do something. It's going to be amazing. And then I've just been like tired all week while recording it. So who knows how long like this will go on, but, um, I don't know. Like well, if, oh, go ahead. if you, if you want to talk about the past, I have a, a brief story. Please. Yes. Theoretically. So, this is the this is the the past segment of of the, the episode. Yes. So in anticipation for this episode, I I have I have done I have engaged in no uh, none of the post novel coronavirus stuff that's gone up on No Pro. But I went back to the podcast that Noah and Brian and I chatted on many moons ago, and. At the beginning of that podcast, we start, Noah begins a conversation about what immersive is and is not, which back then was like a super novel, although already slightly tired conversation. And and I reference back to the podcast that Noah and I had at CalArts many, many, many moons ago. where we were talking about how maybe the way to think about immersive is the way you diagnose a disease by like, if you have, there are 10 symptoms, if you have seven out of 10 of the symptoms, then you have the disease. And listening to that now was uh, funny, sad, weird. I don't know. Strangely appropriate. Yeah, definitely, definitely surreal. Cause I remember Particularly, uh, not to talk about the virus, but like, it's it's got those same qualities. 
this where it's like, well, you don't have to have all of them, but if you've got three, you, you probably have an immersive on your hands was sort of our, our way of, our way of looking at it. And and that's, that's COVID-19 in a nutshell. Oh, well, you know, if your blood's on fire and you have a cough, let's look for one more, you know? What's, what's funny though, is that then we launched into a conversation about what, some of these symptoms might be and uh we sort of tossed out we toyed with and then set aside agency as being a primary one although certainly one of the symptoms and then noah said well for me if there is an essential symptom it's presence yeah which again took on a very surreal and sad and strange tone yeah yeah, that's that's I mean, that's one of the things that's been interesting about all the remote work, even before this all came down the line was. How do you conjure that sense of being there when there is no there, when you're just here? Um, and the goal sometimes is is that feeling of like, well, you're here now. Right. It's why we called the summit what we called it here. <laughs> right. Um and now, I mean, that's definitely, I mean, in this, in this moment, it's the thing that I, that I find myself missing the most outside of like the VR stuff. Cause the VR stuff manages to like really transport. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, uh, it was like an hour and a half ago. I was doing supernatural. We've been, we've been using this, the VR workout thing like all month long. We've been doing, you know, reports on it. And what's great about the best thing, not the best thing, one of the best things about it is they put you in 360 landscapes most of which are real places so suddenly it's like hey let's go work out at the blue lagoon like the blue lagoon um or Hmm. you know let's let's here we are on top of a volcano caldera or here we are at crater lake or the great wall of china and you're standing there on this beautiful vista and you've got about five seconds before they start going, now work out and sweat. Yeah. And you're like, ah, so you don't have any time to truly to like absorb where you are. Uh, but you're in these like gorgeous environments. And for, for, a, for brief moments in time in the course of the workout, you can kind of like lose yourself and, and feel like you're not, standing in your living room flailing your arms about with a hot brick on your face um even though that's what you actually are doing um i don't i don't know if people are are getting a sense of of presence in any of this stuff that's actually something that you know we haven't been asking people um and i don't know how much of the work is really trying to get that across right now you know well uh, i mean the irony i suppose is that one of the reasons why i haven't really engaged in a lot of this stuff it has nothing to do with whether or not i think it it may or may not work but it has everything to do with whatever spare time i have aside from catching moments alone to spend about reaching out to old friends and whatever odd distance one feels from a Zoom interface or uh, Skype or Facebook or even uh, 
Instagram DMs, the moment that that happens with someone who I know or who I've lost contact with or I wish I could just go for a walk with or have a drink with, the moment that comes up, there, there, there's a feeling that I'm not sure I registered before that is really intimate. And I wonder if there's like a path to that. Cause like, like a, a video meeting in the before time feels super different to me than a zoom conversation with an old friend. now there, there is, there is a sense of, it, it's like when, you know, when you're, when you're, when your uncle Ralph used to pick up the phone and call you, right. And, and connect with you. And in that moment, the two of you guys, regardless of how long it's been since you've called, it's real, it's there, it's happening. So you really are here. And I think that's what, what you're, what, what you're getting at is that, cause I've had the same thing. Most of my time has been, uh, uh, you know, with the kids and with the wife and then, then when everybody's asleep, like they are now it's, you know, sanity control and reaching out. And, mm-hmm. and in those moments, you know, it's, it's literally, it's like, you know, you meet an old college friend or a high school friend or a grade school friend um, that you haven't seen forever. And you know how like the years kind of fall away and that space falls away. And it's that same thing now, I think more so now because where we all went, Oh, well, when we have time to catch up with that person, when we have time, we have a moment, we're not so busy. And even the busiest of, of us, since I know a lot of people have other people on their mind now, you know, like family that are distant, we're taking that time to reach out and we're making a moment that is, um, it, we're making a moment that it, that kind of transcends time and space and, you know, whatever, uh, to, so that it's different now, you know, I mean, cause it's, it's important if that makes more sense. It's, it's important that we're reaching out at this moment. Um, it's got a weight, it's got a weight to it that it didn't have before. Yeah. It's got more gravitas. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, yeah. I, I, I think about, you know, take a feel, you additionally philosophical, you know, it's been a while since I've read any of like, you know, the, the ur texts on cyberspace or virtual reality. Um, you know, it's been sometimes since I've engaged with any of those, but you know, there's, there's some ideation there around, you know, well, what is, what is a, a phone call? But, you know, our first sort of, you know, touches into cyberspace. What is a what is a party line? I mean, one of the things I love about Discord is it, it feels like a party line, right? Like it doesn't have there's a there's an informality to it uh, and a looseness to it that that a Zoom call doesn't have, right? You know, I can just kind of relax into a posture, whatever it might be, and, and I'm not performing because I'm not performing myself right now. I'm just being me. A, a more authentic version of me shows up than if we were if we were you were videoing in public. Probably if we were videoing with each other, we'd probably just be like fine, right? And that's that's something I find that's interesting, right? Like if I'm if I'm doing a public Zoom call with like fifty people on it, I just I just I turn my camera off. I don't want to be there. But if it's mm-hmm. like a friend or a couple of friends, I'm I'm so glad to see their face, you know? Um, it's the difference between having a conversation and being on stage, you know, like you're an act, you're an actor, you know, I've done theater work and I've done stuff, you know, Brian's been out there public speaking. It, there's a difference when you are in front of people and you have to put up the wall and you know what I'm talking about the wall, right? You have to put up that, that mask, that face, that presentation, but, um, and kind of bring it kind of a weird sideways circle. The thing that 
those calls now and the intimate calls like with friends or with a couple of people like if we if we were able to have the, the bandwidth to do this i think we we'd love to do this face to face because it'd be like being there um it the, the masks come down and you get to be like you say genuine you get to be you you get to be i'll bring it back again we get to be here you get to be in that moment and you're not mm. worried about you're not worried about the cameras you're not worried about what people are thinking you get to be real and you get to show people the real you and um you know in just kind of like connected to like what we're talking about you know immersiveness i think that's why it's today a zoom call is a lot different than you know a same skype call or zoom call would have been you know <clears throat> you know three months ago <laughs> you know let alone two months ago like three months ago um it's the same reason why when you went to an immersive show the really good ones that got you engaged to the point where you stopped acting and you just were you know if they had if you had to talk you just became you or you became that moment and you know you you took on that life that you're in it um i think that's kind of where that's kind of how our genre was going and i think in some ways this is kind of broken down us having to do these calls this way has broken down a lot of the pretense and the formality that we used to have with the phone call or we used to have with you know with with skype there was a certain formality to it that's kind of been stripped away um especially when you get the smaller more you know personal groups and i think that's yeah. that's kind of the, the key yeah. there yeah. yeah there's also something interesting on top of that where it's like before like everything got really shut down i was doing you know zoom calls at, at work non-stop um you know and then those stopped right um, but like how we, you know, we've always talked about this. Like, I think all three of us have talked about this at various times, like what you get out of the work, why the work feels important, what senses of connection you get, uh, and what that brings that other mediums can't, um, you know, cause usually we live busy lives. We have crazy lives and you have these like great moments of, of art that become these moments of, you know, uh, communication between you and story and you and performer. Uh, and they can be profound, but we're in this totally different space now where we have to slow down and stop. We have no choice um, to the point where I think, you know, what you're both are saying is absolutely correct. You know, you don't want to escape from those things. You want to grab those moments with those people because you actually can take a breath and do that for the first time in what feels like years in a lot of cases. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And, and what what this says to me is that intimacy can happen through these physically distanced medium. And I think it may just be that um, we're underestimating how different a medium it is and that it requires a new, new skill sets to bring, if not presence, then intimacy to a relationship with a performer and an audience through these mediums. I mean, the medium is the message, sure, but both the medium and the message happened in a context. And the context has shifted, as Brian is saying. And I really, really think that there is a way to bring a profound intimacy to a physically distanced performance that is novel and not the same as going physically to a performance, but can bring some of that, uh, some of that 
<laughs> been watching for some reason been watching these documentaries about the early days of electronic music and i want to say that will bring that funk or that will bring that kind of uh acid stink to it but that's probably not a technical term that will be useful for everyone that, that should be the title of the podcast though right can we do that <laughs> that immersive stink what's going on what's even happening this is waypoint that's what would have happened just then but thank god for once thank god this isn't waypoint uh, normally i wouldn't feel that way um i think th this idea you know when you're saying you know hitting on the McLuhan's of you know like you know the medium is, is the message um i also thought about you know and you were talking about like you know, things happening in in a context for some reason the contact is the context mm. like popped up into my brain probably the beer uh probably just basic noah synesthesia but thinking about the way in which we're connecting with people and that there's there's a depth to each of these tools that is distinct from the other distinct Dis distinct? Oh. No, distinct. Not distinct. <laughs> <laughs> distinct. That'd be even a weirder title. Good. No, there's there's a there's 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 a depth of the tools. Like we're 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 in an audio mode right now, right? And even think about the way that we're trying to communicate you know, the gravity or the weight, what the most important part of what we're saying is. If we were in person, you know, there might be something gestural, but instead we start to tighten up and focus on intonation. And we start voice acting a little bit, just instinctively. We may not be super controlled about it the way a great master voice actor would be, but we still start to put more effort into what we're doing there. Whereas when we're dealing with like a physical immersive, it starts to really become about what's the space between the people, right? How, what's the pathway through? And as people spend more time with these tools, they'll, they'll get a chance to start to uncover what can make these tools feel more intimate. Um, and, and maybe bring some of that back, right? Like there's a part of me that thinks about how it's kind of like we're all on this journey together, like stuck on a spaceship. Uh, and we're going to, we don't know when the spaceship's going to land, but we're all in our kind of, you know, compartments. Running with a limited oxygen supply, which is why we got to wear masks when we go outside. And once we get where we're going, there'll be these lessons we've learned. And we can, we can take that into that new world we make. And maybe, maybe be a little sharper and a little more sensitive um, to some of these, some of these things, you know, some of some of the stuff around the verbal and around people's online personas. I don't know. Everyone's going nuts online. That's the main thing I notice these days. <laughs> it's just mentions are an awful place. <laughs> Stay there. But that was true beforehand too. That's just. <laughs> 
Yeah, but like like even even places where you cultivated like some calm are starting to get a little stir crazy. So yeah, well, I think it's just uh, there's so much going on, right? You have like everybody's finding looking for some sense to have a, a catharsis or a sense of release or just somewhere to go and like vent all these stuff inside that we're all dealing with. Um, and what's weird about it is that one would think that it's a good opportunity for us, you know, collectively to find catharsis through this, right? Um, using these tools we're talking about, but the fact that we're locked away, the fact that these things do feel impersonal, um, really, really, you know, makes that difficult. Um, even though we are in touch with you know people more often than than not, and or I think it gets interesting in, in the context of shows too. It's I don't know how many of the other the other like online stuff that everybody's been trying. Um, I haven't done a lot for the kind of the reasons I was talking about earlier. But one thing I was struck by. Um, at the uh, the start of uh, Arcana, um, was that it just started with a character on an Instagram and being vulnerable, and I was like, "Wow, that's really really nice." You know, I could feel like I connected to a character, and that was like everything. Um, but it's like a very different shift because I would not necessarily have had that same kind of reaction. I think on that medium um, before all this stuff happened. Well. It Oh, go for it. Oh, I was just gonna say, like, um, the it's funny you say that because I was thinking, you know, because I've been dipping my toe in that one too, and um, it, it you know what it reminds me of, Lonely Girl Fifteen. I'm, I'm gonna take it way back. Yeah. It reminds me of Lonely yep. Girl Fifteen, and that same thing that you know that literally catfished everybody into playing that was the fact that you know, and this time it's different because you know we we have we have foreknowledge, we know that it's a game. Um, but in that day, it's like we didn't know it was a game, and we allowed ourselves to care about this teenage girl because she was being real and being vulnerable. And, you know, I think it's in that way, we've come a long way. We've come a long way, um, and not just because of COVID, but because of also just how we look at each other through these mediums. Um, because, you know, that was <clears throat> 13 years ago um, that we <laughs> that, uh, uh you know that we we were watching that 13 years ago they had to lie to us you know they had to literally go on a, a, a emerging honest medium and lie to us and pretend to be something that it wasn't for us to care about it and to get into that game and now here we are you know we get invited we hear about these things like, hey there's this new arg and then you just play and you just let it drop you let it go and you care and you know if it's well done like in, the, in arcana's case like you, you know by a character being vulnerable, you allow yourself to be vulnerable and you just, you know, you go for it. So I think we've come a long way in that, in, in that sense of it. Um, yeah. I think there's always going to be two schools, particularly in the, in the ARG, in the, the alternate reality realm, the folks who, the folks who want the full on, this is not a game experience and want to be lied to. And I've never, I've never, I've never needed to be lied to. Right, like I've always been fine with knowing it was imaginary, just because something is imaginary doesn't make it any less real, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, I know not everyone can can tr truck with that framing around life, but I don't know, as someone whose life is sort of dedicated to the concept of play and really informed by, you know acting classes and mythology and studying religion and pop culture like i 
I seriously do not need something to be, you know, this is a hard, hard, absolute factual truth for it to be of value. Um, particularly if that vulnerability is there. Um, the thing I, I, I zeroed in on was thinking about um, some of the folks in the Underpresents, uh, Dasha and some of the others talking about, you know, hugging people in in the game now, right? And there's there's one where, you know, the players don't have voices, but they they have kind of body language. They can do charade stuff and they can present gifts and, you know, they can even they can even develop personalities like they they're able to recognize people based off the kinds of things they do. People get sort of like, oh, this is the person who always gives you a tomato, right? You know, like they start to recognize patterns of behavior. Um, and, and just like people are seeking physical connection through the digital, um, device. And that too is a kind of vulnerability, you know? Um, hell, one of the, one of the most, it wasn't fantastic because like it's a very early beta, but like one of the better memories of the past week was, you know, Kara, Catherine, Patrick, and I ran around in uh, spatial uh, for like about an hour, just sort of kicking the tires on it, uh, being sort of horrified by our um, <laughs> our our quasi photo real avatars uh, where they map a photo of your face onto a, a digital body and just sort of like just messing with it in the room we were in. And by the end, like they were, they had like built a murder board, <laughs> like, like a conspiracy. Like we had, we were searching pictures. So we just started putting pictures on the wall and they were drawing connections to it, you know, and they were having just, just goofing around. But that sense that we were, we were goofing around in a space together, even though it was a virtual space. Um, like that's how the memory reads to me. We were there, you know, um, even if it was just sort of a projection of ourselves because we were there together. Hmm. Well, I think yeah, that's, I'm really... that's, that's the key is, you know, we're together. Right? Someone else had something, Brian, say? No, I was just I was about to say that um, it was just reminding me, we're talking about other forms of the medium and, um, you know, how audio could be a big part of that. You know what I mean? And how that idea where you can get told a story or have like a story that you're taking part of and um, and how that can become the memory, right? And there is no difference in your mind, right? Whether it's a VR experience, whether it's an immersive show, whether it's something that happened to you down your street um, when you should have been wearing a mask. Uh, you know, all those things in, in our brains, they're, they're all the same, right? And so there's this this tangible reality to, to all of it, um, you know, and if the upside is that there's more ways to open that door, um, you know, to different kinds of expressions of that experience, that's like a huge unexplained upside. Like we don't know what it's going to be yet and everything else is terrible and we're in an apocalypse, but um, just from a purely artistic perspective, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how all these tools out there and how does we as people and our ability to engage with the rest of the world um, is going to cause the the forms to kind of evolve. Yeah, I think there's a, a lot of room for some spatial audio stuff or for more things like her long black hair, particularly if, you know, or or the kind of processional work we've seen in L.A., 
but you know, done with a bit of social distancing, you know, so it's like maybe you're not up on the actors, but you know, you're going on a walk and you see the actors at a distance and you're listening to a track and you you get like the revelation of what's going on between them because you can hear their inner thoughts, right? You know, yeah. there's, mm. there's there's things that people could play with and we're we're still gonna be limited in our tools for a while, but as as sort of we get to sort of stretch ourselves a little bit, there's there's space to play and there's there's not a lot of resources, right? But that's also like a leveler. So, okay, so, you know, no one's pumping money into the system again and everyone's out of work again. Um, hopefully, you know, if you if you still have your laptop and you've got the ability to like load things onto a Libsyn account and you can recruit your friends for a weekend and rehearse over Zoom and also maybe rehearse over like a group um, phone call while you're standing around in Griffith Park, uh, you could you could piece something together, um, and then you know unleash it on people. Uh, Kids, we got to put together a show in the barn. Yeah, pretty much, but <laughs> literally in the barn, and we got to make sure the barn doors are open and nobody touch anything. So, um, what? I really wish I was I was in any of the places that have these um, the the some sort of performance that happens just outside your house when some when food is being delivered or uh or anything like that i mean if, if anything that was, was happening like that anywhere in my area i would very much sign up for it um and it also makes me think about a really long time ago there was this really wonderful environmental theater festival on governor's island and most of the companies were dutch because it was also a, a celebration of the discovery of the hudson and oh, every, there were so many wonderful things there but one of them was this company whose name escapes me but their entire approach was doing performances that happened in huge spaces so you're on Governor's Island, which a lot of it is dilapidated and sort of old and broke down and sort of like this rustic, apocalyptic vibe to it. And the audience was on these bleachers that looked out onto this broken down old tennis court. And then beyond the tennis court were all of these uh, warehouses were all sort of half broken down so you could see inside of them. And you sat there and you didn't really know when the show was starting. And then from... I mean, it's an island, so as far away as the horizon, which wasn't you know very far away, given how flat it was, and it was an island, you saw someone coming towards you. At first, you just think, oh, it's just someone walking around, but then you realize it's part of the show, and this person's walking towards you. Then you notice from another direction, there's another person coming towards you, and the performance happens really far away from you. So you don't know what they're saying, but through their actions, you follow this sort of dystopic storyline that happens. Um, but it was astonishing because it, because the the distance from the audience was what created the story. It wasn't just that, oh, it's a story that's happening far away from you. It was that the, the distance was integrated into the ideas and feelings and character relationships. Um, and it was uh, really fantastic. 
thinking about the distance, I think matters in, in two levels. And, and one of it is the metaphoric. And I mean, I know whenever I talk about immersive, I talk about playing the, 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 the plasticity of the relationship between the participant and the work. And part of that, part of that plasticity is the distance, right? The physical distance, the emotional distance, the power dynamic, these things aren't rigid. And here we are in a moment where the social scripts themselves are fluid in, in a weird way. Like they're sort of forced into specific channels, but there's definitely a fluidity here. The world we're, the world we get back to once everything restarts will not, will not be the same, no matter what, no matter how close we get it, not, it will not be the same. And right now we're in this mode where we're, everybody is, is playing with these, with their relationship with sort of consensual reality itself. Like everyone's trying to navigate through the world, sometimes literally through like the, the the maze of the bureaucracy, just so you can make sure you've got resources coming in, or or you don't have as many resources going out. Um, maybe as you're trying to figure out how to save your business, or or, or you know what you're going to do now. Um, we're we're in this moment where all that practicing we've done by playing these different roles and being put in these different relationships, um, you know, those muscles are being tested. And I guess for creators, like there's even, I don't want to say it's higher stakes because I don't, I don't want to discourage anybody, but maybe it's more that there's just, there's a, a different kind of need, like almost, almost an urgency like, I mean, I really want someone to drop something into the newswire that that sounds like it's going to be a very dynamic, very plastic experience. And I mean, a lot of what I'm seeing looks very performative because that's the first thing. It's, it's you know, we're, we're right back to like silent movies. It's like, let's put on a stage show. And I'm I'm definitely find myself more drawn to where people are messing with recipes and and thinking about, you know, how can we how can we get behavior out of the participant? Um and that might literally be like, you know, here, make this cocktail. Here's what you need for the cocktail, to to something that's a little more abstract. that starts to kind of strike at the heart of what the what's really going on with the work itself, which is you're, you're giving people recipes and then letting them play with them and kind of putting their own twists on it. You know, everyone's got to make a margarita, but, you know, maybe you used a little spice in it. You, you kicked in something a little, you know, or you were out of this, so you use that instead. Um, you know, Grand Marnier instead of triple sec, you know, something as simple as that. Although I suppose that doesn't really make that big of a difference. Maybe a little bit of a difference. I don't know. You're, you're talking about getting back into that old definition of agency again. And that's, I think it, we keep coming back to it and it's, it's a really weird dance that there, I, I think 
um, it's just in my not so humble opinion, um, it's humble, uh, is that at the core of immersive, there is a sense of agency, whether it be perceived, whether it be real, whether it be, you know, staged, there's, there is a sense of you have at least a little bit of control and responsibility for what you bring to the table. And, um, I think that's the stuff that, that initially draw, drew us, you know, um, I knew the stuff that drew you and drew me in because, you know, we, back way back in the day, in the early days of, of, uh, of no pro when we, we used to talk about like, you know, like, Hey, do you remember, remember the first time we actually got to play in somebody else's world? And we talked about, you know, transmedia and talking always back to transmedia and we were talking about like star wars and how it let us play in the world. And then, you know, the first real transmedia event being Blair Witch project, you know, that there was a sense of like you were involved in it, how much you learned and how much you got out of, you know, that little experience was how much you brought to it. And if you just sat back and took it in passively, well, it's a different experience than if you, you know, read all the books or decoded something, or if you, you know, even looked at it in a different order. Um, I think the core of what we have been, where we are going and what we want to see is stuff that is alive and it requires the audience to be alive as well as you know the venue or the sound or the actors i mean it requires the audience to be again here it requires you to be in the moment and to live it and if you're not living it in some way even if just you know having choice where your eyes move then you know it's not for me it's not immersive that makes sense I think it's also really interesting about that, uh, um, Anthony, is that like part of when you go into immersive, right? You're talking about agency, whether it's perceived or literal, it doesn't matter. You have to feel like, you know, it's something there. So you're like actually an active participant. Um, but right now we're in this moment, right, where, you know, agency and control is something that we do not have. Like none of us really have it right now. So does that become something that we need to feel as an audience um, on a greater scale than we have lately, right? Does that kind of drive that that need, that thrust even further? Um, because I just know personally, like whether it's like, you know, bin shopping or eating lots of pizza, like I'm looking for all kinds of ways to, to demonstrate control over my current situation, right. yeah. even if they are not healthy at all. Um, but if I can get that through, through art, through the work, um, that's even more important because that's giving me something I can't get elsewhere. Yeah, and I think that's 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 the nail on you know the hammer on, on the head of the nail is that you know it's it is more important now I think than it's ever been. I mean I think that's part of the reason why VR and video games have taken off in, in the way that they have it in a year. It's like it's new renaissance, right? Um, that uh, in a year in years um, is because it gives in in a time when you know we have very little control and people are trying to take control or people are trying to get control in whatever ways they can whether it be you know um art or political or or you know just like say overeating um I'm guilty, <laughs> of that. I'm guilty of that part um uh it, it's when when we're looking at our escapism um and you know let's let's be real you know it's the the, the theater and the art and the tv and all the games it's escapism um but we need a sense of, I think we need a sense of control over our escapism. You know, we, we need to have a, it gives us a moment to at least pretend that we have a say in what's going on in our world. And in a time when for many of us, it is, uh, you know, 
we're, we're being told by our government or we're being told by a disease or we're being told by our neighbors, you know, how we should think, act, feel, go and do, you know, uh, to the point where we've got our hands up and we're, you know, we're, we're scared to, to move, um, you know, rightfully so. But uh, it, it, it is a nice moment to be able to be like, well, damn it, if I can't go out and I can't do this and I can't feel this way and I have to be in this rigid structure, um, you know, uh, at least I can go and, uh, you know, have a conversation where I actually feel like I have input, even if it's, you know, with a robot or I can, you know, help somebody escape uh, from, you know, from, from something else when I can't. I mean, it's all, it is all a, it is all a piece about, it's all a moment about letting ourselves get lost in, get lost in control. I think it is. It's like lucid dreaming. You know, it's like the best dreams are the ones where you realize you're dreaming, you can do anything, right? And it's real, but like suddenly like I can fly or I can punch through, you know, punch through a, a car or, you know, I can, I can take over and, you know, and, and do this how I want to do it. And this is a, this, there's a double-edged sword to this, sword to this, right? Like there's, there's a level where there are times when I worry that the net effect of the illusion of control and the illusion and, and the illusion of participation that immersive can give sort of lets you fill up on all of lets you get the emotional hit you need so that you are more complacent and more compliant and more docile uh, in the real world. Um, Jenny Weinblum has a great talk about immersive being rehearsal for resistance and that's the other kind of mode that this work can provide, right? Like it can either give you a false sense of control and then you get you get all that you need out of it, right? You know, and that's that's the you know that's that's why fans, you know, freak out online and brigade actors on television shows and exert their powers or you know, you know, try and frighten companies into taking one pathway than another. Um, that's why, you know, that's why people like invest everything they've got into video games and sort of let, you know, can let the rest of their lives away. It's, it's why people binge eat, <laughs> you know, I binge eat, you know, like, like there's definitely a thing like food in particular where you can just be like, well, look, I know this is bad for me, but Hey, it's my choice. Right, like I can, I can do this to myself. It may be having a negative effect, but at these least are, these I'm are the familiar one. words right now. Yeah, like I'm the yeah. one who has the power here, right? And, and I don't think that not having the the user interface, that not having the levers, makes for a more honest experience of reality, right? Like putting someone through one of these things and, you know, and saying like, you have no control because you don't really have any control in real life either. Um, I think that's bullshit. I think that there's a way though to sort of point to, well, what, what do you take out of the experience, right? You did this here. Here in this world, you had you had this level of agency, right? I mean, this this is this gets to some Campellian hero shit, right? You know, while you were in the other world, you discovered that you had agency. You discovered that you had powers that you never thought you had in the real world. And the actual lesson of, of that kind of story, the thing we're supposed to take away from it, 
from where I'm standing right now, is that your thought that you didn't have agency in the real world, that was the illusion. That was Maya. In, you have this lucid dream, but you also have agency in the real world. You are a co-creator of reality. That's the gift you get from going on an adventure. Um, and if you can provide that to people right now, so that they come out of things, not just feeling like I controlled this diorama, right? You know, I, I feel the lure of animal crossing. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I, I, I feel the lure. I hate checklist games. So that makes it easy. But like, when I see everyone playing it and I see that Brian has Nin merch and I see that Gary, Whittenstein... look, it's a great shirt and a great hat. I'm just saying, I'm, I, I'm not arguing. Like that was tempting. <laughs> when I see that AOC is running around and, and meeting people there or Gary Whitta has a talk show and now Danny Trejo is going to be a correspondent on the talk show. And I'm just like, well, this, this is brilliant. Maybe I do want to go into mortgage to that, that damn Tom Nook. But, um, <laughs> The, the, the other part of it is like, if, if you're structuring something like that, and then if the lesson that you'd actually take away when you go back into the real world is like, Hey, here's how I'm industrious or, Hey, um, I have power here too. Right. It actually makes me think about, I've been thinking a lot about the matrix four lately, not like a lot, but like it comes up. Uh, because what was it? Uh, Elon Musk said he was taking the red pill the other day. And then Ivanka Trump, sorry to get political, everybody was like, uh, taken, right. You know, just, uh, and then Lily Wachowski showed up and was like, fuck both of you, <laughs> which was <Yeah>. awesome. <laughs> right. But it started to make, it, it made me think because like, you know, the, the language, you know, how the red pill has been co-opted by, you know, the alt-right and, and, and that faction, uh, that that whole idea and given like who made the matrix and what the matrix was about and thinking about the fact they're making a fourth one and just sort of wondering like well what's what's the what's the twist is there is there a real world even beyond what they experienced right is there a is there another layer to the onion is there some lesson that went unlearned which i gotta imagine if they're making that movie that the Wachowskis feel like there is, otherwise why revisit it, right? There's some something more they want to do, not just slap a fresh coat of paint onto things. Um, and, and that idea right there, that there is these fantasy realms we, we make. There are these worlds we make for ourselves and we make for other people that we play in and we participate in. But the lesson's supposed to be, this is where we go to train to go be better people, to go be more effective agents of change in the real world, and not just expend all that energy inside the game. Um, it's really interesting, Noah, that something I've been thinking about a lot lately and probably bigger picture, some of the stuff we've been talking about this evening um, is the issue of consent, right? And how it deals into those things. Like 
Um, if you decide to jump into a show, that's a form of control, right? If you decide to be part of something, you're kind of on some level recognizing that it is not real and you have a, a better chance of maybe taking those lessons with you. Um, you know, I'm somebody that's obviously, you know, done shows that are very, very line blurry and ones that are very, very defined. Um, and go back to, you know, Arcana we were talking about earlier, um, a show that was so explicit about like, this is a character, this is a character. Don't waste your time, you know, researching like a website in New Jersey for a security company, although I did that. Um, and you kind of go like, oh, great. Like I can choose to do it on my own timeline. The show doesn't own me. I own my interaction with the show, mm. which was such a relief in a weird way. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, it's more approachable for certain. And like, I mean, look, we're, we're all, we're all Batuta nuts. We're all Star Wars nerds, you know, like we know when we can pick up Star Wars, unless you guys are hanging out with me because Neverly just shows up out of the blue, out of nowhere. Uh, sorry about that. That's part of my, <laughs> part of what I do in reality, uh, like in this very moment, but like, you know, you walk in through the gates of the park and you're there physically or you turn you, you flip disney plus on and like the movies there or you pick up the book and then you can put it down and you go back to your car and you you walk away from it um and it it doesn't it doesn't have any less power for that right i don't know maybe also because maybe this stems from the fact like maybe my aversion to the to the version of it where you know there's no the, the boundaries are fully blurred is the deep-seated knowledge that but you can't really go there you know like because i can't actually go into that world or i can't it, it, it is not sufficient for me to read every single thing that was ever written about the dc universe uh, if I if I met, somehow managed to do that and contain it all in my head, I would not then like go to sleep and then wake up in Gotham, right? Like it's just that's just not going to happen, right? Even if it's something that I I thought could be possible when I was 12 years old, right? Like that's just not that's not a thing. Um, so instead finding not just comfort but power in knowing, kind of like at the end of Labyrinth, right? If you ever need it. It's there. But that's the power of of imagination. I, I wish I remembered the quote, uh, who actually did the quote, but it was a couple of famous writers talking about the difference between um, suspension of disbelief, you know, whether, rather talking whether or not suspension of disbelief is important. And it's, mm. and it was, would have boiled down to for for one writer and i gonna kick myself i'll have to go look it back up um was that this it's not about the suspension of disbelief i don't want to make people believe that the world that that's you know that it's real you want to make them believe that while they're there it's real mm. um so you know who cares if it's you know if it's real i mean like it's like you know about the blurred line things like who cares if it's real while you're there it's an absolutely real world and I think that's, for me, when I talk about like agency, when I talk about like, you know, that part of the escape, 
I want to be when I'm in that world to be in that world, you know, um, whether it be a book, whether it be a TV show, whether or not it be, you know, a music park, when I'm there, I want it. I don't want to, I want it to be real enough that while I'm watching about it, I don't have to, I don't think about it. I just enjoy the ride, you know, and I can think about it later. Um, and it doesn't have to be so real that like, you know, I'm like, Oh, like, you know, when I walk through this door and like, you know, I'm immediately in star Wars universe, like, no, it's like, I know I'm, you know, I know that I'm not really on Batu, you know, in my, in my heart of hearts, my thinking brain, I'm not on Batu, but gosh, damn it. I'm there while I'm there, you know, <laughs> um, which is something that I I've had to explain to many people. And like, like, I took my kid, I took my, my, uh, I took both my kids separately and the little one, the big one. And when I took the little one, he was kind of like, this is really cool. I'm like, yeah, and we're on Batu, and he's like, no, we're not. We're in Earth. I'm like, no, we're on Batu. We, we passed the gates. We're on Batu, and he's like, it's like, no, no, it's like that doesn't make any sense, Daddy. We, we didn't, we didn't get in a rocket ship because he's very scientific. Now. He's like, we didn't get in a rocket ship. It can't be on Batu. We can't be on another planet. I'm like, we are. I'm like, can you see? Can you see Disneyland outside? He goes, but we're in Disneyland. I'm like, wait, can you see Disneyland? He's like, no. I said, go ask that lady over there. I sent him over to the blue milk stand, and this lady at the side. I said, ask her what planet you're on. <laughs> and 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 he walks up. He goes. We're on Earth, aren't we, lady? And the lady goes, it's like she goes, she goes, bright suns, little one. It's like, no, we're on Batu. We're in we're in Black Spire Outpost. And he goes, but we're on Earth. He goes, we're in Black Spire Outpost. And it was this whole moment that it was like, she oh. was like, wait, what is protocol? Am I supposed to lie to the children or not? I can't remember. Are we supposed to lie to the children? I think we're supposed to lie to the children. That sounds more blue milk. When it when it when it, when it comes when it comes to Batu. You gaslight the hell out of them, dude. It's, it's, it's acceptable. Um, my, my wife and I had a long, long conversation about that because you know it's like the same thing with with um, with Santa Claus. For those of you guys who are listening to this, you don't realize that Santa Claus may or may not be real in in what? our house. For some people, Santa Claus is real. What's going on? For Say, people, help me, Anthony's saying things. For my older son. He gets torn up about it because like Santa Claus is real, Santa Claus is real, Santa Claus is real. I'm like Santa Claus is real just because you don't think he's real doesn't mean he's not real, right? And the the thing is, it's there is a certain age where you want to keep that innocence. And the beauty of stepping into worlds like that um, for us as adults, some of us middle aged um, adults, uh, is that when you step into that world, you, you you don that innocence back again, you don that cloak back. You shroud yourself in it, and that's what keeps it going, you know. So, uh, and, and I, I think something that's that's key about that and what makes that matter. I'm thinking, I've seen a couple of stories lately of <laughs> particularly, particularly, you know, there was usually like uh, popping up in my threads at feeds is like AITA, it's like, Am I the Asshole stories, and there was like one where it was like someone like destroyed their girlfriend's animal crossing. Oh, I saw that. Right. And and another one where a parent as punishment for the kid, because they wouldn't do their zoom lessons, deleted their Minecraft server and the kid completely, completely (laughs) lost it. And it's like, these are fantasy places, but who you are, how you behave towards other people and the efforts other people have made in those worlds there's there's a truth there about the interiority of our lives right how you treat what someone else values says more about you than it does about them and you can be incredibly cruel or incredibly kind 
based on how you treat someone's flightiest flight of fancy, right? And and maybe our deepest relationships, huh, um, come about because you find the people who you want to share the most ridiculous parts of yourself with. And maybe one of the things about all this immersive work is it reveals that there's a lot more people who want to share ridiculous parts of themselves than you might imagine and who are willing to go deeper even than what mass fandom allows us to do. I don't know, this beer is very good. It's it's oh, no. called, that called intimacy. It's intimacy, you know? That's that that was the exact thought that I because I've I I I've been sitting here trying to um trying to to, to think backwards into the past because uh as Noah framed it, this was the like the, the past of the past, present, and future. And I'm finding it really, really difficult. And um, and instead, I'm thinking more about um, for me, for me, immersive stuff is not it's not about agency. Um, but it is about intimacy. and And I think what Noah and Anthony just said helped square the circle because there's something about intimacy that requires at least a perceived level of agency because as long as you're protected as a pure audience member on one side of the proscenium you might say um there is no intimacy because you can't have intimacy without risk and risk requires some level of agency some level of control that you're either giving up through choice or or not through choice and 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 if there's a a sadness to thinking about where the work that no proscenium looks at can go it's it's where 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 you can land intimacy and the agency in the work and it's not just about the medium like i'm i'm really really not convinced that i'm very unconvinced that whether or not agency or intimacy can happen over the medium the the media that we have at our disposal in the age of physical distancing it's not the medium i really think more and more it's about the context which is what we were all talking about earlier this this sense that we have no control and you can't achieve a moment of intimacy through a work without feeling as if you have some level of control even if it's just control over yourself, just control exactly. over how That's much exactly you give to the yeah. yeah, how much how much you give into the relationship, how much you're willing to invest. So it's got to make an ask of you, like the the work needs to ask something of you. Yeah, that's a little bit more which, than just listen. Which I wonder why, because you mentioned her long her long black hair earlier, and I. 
um i tried to listen to a few of the of the new pod uh sort of odd dramas um or audio dramas or audio immersives um that had come up in no proscenium and read some of the reviews and i remember doing her long dark her long her long dark hair her long black hair her long dark hair right now uh with Noah in Central Park was like this revelatory experience. I mean, it was really, really, really lovely. Um, but right now it's all really falling flat, at least for me. And I don't think it's because of the quality of the work. I think, again, it might have to do with a, a context thing. Like there's, there's no risk there for the participant. There's no agency there for the participant. There's no, you're, you're just, you're just receiving, you're just, you're just taking in. There's no um, real engagement, and so it loses that that um, that frisson that comes from certainly your long dark hair, where you're you know you're in Central Park and you're walking around. And um, whereas now it, it just might call for something heavier and more direct, regardless of the medium that you're working with, in order to pierce through this this feeling we all have. Also, you know, in that one, they know where you are and they're guiding you so right. masterfully that it feels like a magic trick. And right now with so much of the pod play stuff, people don't know where they where you are, so they're trying to set up very basic circumstances. And and I gotta admit, like I haven't engaged with any of that material because one, we've got a large enough team where I can go, hey, someone want to take this one? Uh, and two, because I look at a lot of it, I'm like, I'm just not, I'm not certain. Or I don't have the required materials. Like there's stuff where it's like, this one takes place in a bathtub. And I'm like, I'm not cleaning out the bathtub, you know? Uh, like, I'm just like, I don't want to deal with that. Um, so, you know, I don't have the, the means uh, to, to do that. Like literally six years, I've never taken a bath here. Um, I mean, I shower all the time. Let's, a clean person i just you know don't use the bath um and 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 even then like i mean this is something we've you know i've talked with like creators about like how do we you know how set and setting right like how do you do set and setting and part of the magic of her of her long black hair is the set and setting is central park you know and they know it's you're probably going to be out there on a slightly busy day because it's Central Park. And if you're a tourist, which you probably are, and you're doing the thing, then inevitably other tourists are going to be doing something out there. And so you create that seamless blend between the audio that's in your ears and the audio that's beyond the headphones. And it's just like, what the hell? This is insane. Um, and and there you go. That's set and setting. Um, as opposed to, you know, I think of... Um, in reading up on the the Alexis Solowski, um article in the New York Times and just how hard it was for her to like let go into any of the work because she could not, you know, she didn't have control over her set and setting, you know, or if she exerted control over her set and setting, it it really bit into the social compact she was in at home with her kids. Um just just not something that was conducive and this stuff really does have or can have you know the quality of a of a trip um and so what's going on ambiently around you i mean i had i had a really weird time when i did 
fragile recall because the workmen were like going around the building and doing stuff and using power tools. And I was trying to have, uh, you know, an intimate feeling conversation. What was, what was supposed to be my past life? Someone who was in a highly, you know, charged moment. And, uh, I was, I was having a difficult time letting myself go into that because someone was you know, scraping paint off a wall, like six feet away from me. Um, and it just was not, it was not the right set and setting. And so many of us are in the wrong set and setting right now. Um, like, uh, I just, um, uh, the encounter, um, so I listened to that last night. That's part of why I'm on so little sleep right now. Um, because it took me 13 hours to listen to a two hour, you know, <laughs> pod play show, you know, to that, to that, that piece. And, uh, if you, if you haven't, if you haven't watched or listened to it, go do it, do yourself a favor, try to do it all in one go. If you can, it's hard if you have, you know, circumstances where you're with family and other things happening, but, um, it's worth it, dude. It's, it's a really moving piece, but it took me, 13 hours to do it because I tried to start it in the afternoon. Uh, you know, when it was uh, early on, I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to watch it. And, you know, I had kids interrupting me and my wife interrupted me. The mailman showed up, you know, a neighbor showed up, the dog threw up. It was like everything kept happening. <laughs> and it was, it was like one of those moments where like, okay, well, I'm just going to sit here and listen to this for like, you know, in, in 30 minute stretches. And I can't even do that. And then, you know, all through the night, people kept... you could have used it better if it was like a five minute, perhaps like just a quick bite of contact. Yeah, I mean, and and but I mean, Sorry. but that Keep but that. Going. Well, no, it's true. It's true. It's like yeah, it's like it's okay. It's okay to it's okay for an immersive audience to have a little uh, salami as a snack. Um, wow, I just mean to myself. Anyway, uh, <laughs> it, it it was one of those things where it, it was really it was this beautiful thing. But like, my wife woke up in the middle of the night and like you know it's like eleven o'clock at night. I'm like okay, I'm fine. I can listen to it. And stuff was going on. I was getting emails and pings from people and people wanted to call me. And my kids kept waking up. And so next thing I know, like I finished it at like three 30 this morning and I'm like, that didn't have quite, you know, it had a bunch of emotional impact, but it didn't have quite the impact. I think that he intended cause you know, it took me 13 hours and not two hours to listen to it. And, um, you know, it makes a difference And that. I think that's for me, that's, it's funny. It's like as much work has exploded in the last two months and let's be real. It's been a lot of new work. It's been interesting work. And I haven't gotten to taste, like I've tasted like two percent of it. You know, yeah. I I was on goal this year, and it was funny because like before we got locked down, I, I think I told you, you no, know, I was like, I'm like, man, this is like the most immersive that I've gotten to see in one go, and I'm all lined up to like I got four other ones scheduled, and I was, you know, I had like a bunch of stuff already scheduled, and my wife was like, let's do it, and we were going on dates, and it was like, okay, I'm gonna see more, I'm gonna do my record for most immersive scene in one year, and I was, you know en route to see more in the first six months that I'd seen in like two years. Cause I was going to everything and I had it all lined up and then we got locked down. And now I was like, there's all this neat new stuff that I can't touch because I don't have control. Cause I don't have control over my set and setting. Um, yeah. And I think that's, it, it is one of the hard things I think for designing this stuff because you, you know, looking at it from their point, you know, from the design side of stuff, you have to write something that will work anywhere or something really specific that somebody can find in our, given our current constraints, it has to be either completely remote or at a distance or in some way removed from that, that level of intimacy. So it means you have to create a level of intimacy in a completely new and novel way. And then you have to 
hopefully have an audience that can have space for that, you know? Um, yeah. And that's, that's tough. I like, so I'm, I, I gotta say like hats off to hats off to all you creators out there who've been busting your ass doing this stuff, because this is a hard time to create as much as you guys have. And, you know, it's, it is like we stepped back towards the, the early days of no proscenium when it was like, what really works? What really doesn't, what's really awesome. And, you know, because there was so much that was coming out so fast and we've kind of back to that point again, it's like the wild west again where you know there's all new rules and everybody's doing this cool thing but you know it's a hard balance for them and it's a hard balance for us as an audience and i'm starting to slur a little bit because the port is kicking in um uh but i think it's hard as for us as an audience because you know we've been trained a certain way all at this point and now we have to step back and kind of you know take a couple steps back and retrain ourselves again to take it from another you know to do it another way and also means we train our families. Our families are, you know, my family. And for those of you guys who have families and significant others, you've trained them that like when I do an immersive, I leave or I like close myself in a room or do something like that, right? So now it's like when if you if you're set up in such a way that your boundaries are like, well, you know, you've got 900 square feet and there's six people living in the house, <laughs> you know. Good luck with that. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, you know, I just carve out 30 minutes for myself to watch this show, but you can't do it because you have yeah. kids walking through the background. Or I got, you know, my, you know, my father-in-law, you know, like, you know, with his bathrobe open, walking through my Zoom channel. It's like, what do you do? You know, so um, it, 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 is a, it is a neat, terrifying time, and it's a hard time. Um, and, and I'm always fascinated and interested to see what people come up to solve these problems because that's part of the thing and and from the audience side what we come up with to solve these problems for ourselves too yeah yeah ab absolutely i mean that's absolutely that's why that's why that's why i feel like it's 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 we're in like this digestive process to see how how the how the how the media that we're forced to use right now can be stretched and pushed and pulled into these forms of intimacy and expression and interaction and agency that uh, they were really never meant for. And everyone's going through this, this learning process. And it's, it's fascinating to watch the digestion happen. And with the encounter, because I mean, the encounter is, that's an old, that's an older piece that was designed as like this, this is a theater complicity piece, right? Like that's, yeah, yeah. like it was designed for a bunch of people in an audience off Broadway with these big headphones. Um, so you see the performer perform and then you hear it in the headphones. So the, like the sonic experience had a great deal of, of development and time and production value behind it. And was made over a much longer period than, you know, any of these uh, post quarantine pieces that were but the funny thing is for me, because um, you know, I knew it existed, but I, I hadn't I hadn't ever gotten a chance to, to see it or you know listen to it and you know, since he broadcasts it now. Um and make sure you watch it all the way from the beginning if you're gonna watch it, because it's yeah. a it's a neat trick that brings you into it. Um that's all I'm gonna say. Uh for me, because of what was going on in my house, I didn't get to watch this show. I listened to it. So I really did hear it as an completely as an oral experience. Every once in a while, you know, like, you know, clicking over to, you know, to see what was happening because I'm like, well, like, well, how's that sound happening? Because, you know, when I knew he was doing some of the things he was doing, I was like, well, what's he doing right now? And for the last hour, I didn't see any of it. I just listened to all of it. Wow. And when I clicked back on and, you know, you'll see how the transformation that happens over the course of the show. <laughs> um, so when I clicked back on it, I was like, what the 
fuck happened? <laughs> you know? Um, and it was, um, seriously, guys, watch it. Watch it from beginning to end. It'll take you a while if you, if you have a lot of stuff going on, but watch it. It's I worth it. by the time it. this airs, the, will it be gone or is it still going? be gone. Like, like yeah. unless they decide to extend Darn. it. Um, uh, which is too bad. But uh, so I don't know. Should I, should I do spoilers on this? I don't know. It's, um, he may, he may read no, it. I mean, it's, it's, it's an old, it's an old piece. But like, so, so if you, if you haven't seen it, he, he makes all these sound effects. He uses like looping pedals and he has like a crew that helps him loop sounds. And he basically talks with this uh, biroll, you know, uh, microphone. Um, it's a head. It's a human head microphone that, you know, it picks up left and right and all the difference. And he makes characters using, you know, change the pitch of his voice and he has props that, you know, he loops sounds and he does weird things with that, you know, they sound different. He, he puts in an old school radio drama and the amazing thing is that he's acting on stage, like you say, and by the end of it, in this show, he's thrown over all of his props table. He's stripped his shirt. He's got fake blood spread across him. And I didn't know any of this stuff because I wasn't watching it. So, you know, <laughs> Like I saw him, that he tipped mean, over. Yeah. His yeah, he tipped over his table, and I saw that part, and I was like, okay. And I had to pause it because you know, when my kids woke up and went to bed, because that's my life right now. Because um, everybody's in trauma, it's great. Uh, and I, you know, went and changed him. I got back to bed, and I, you know, cleaned him up, and got him back. And I, by the time I got back in, I'm like, okay, I'm just listening, and I'm listening to this thing happen. And you know, and it gets to the end, and it's this really big emotional ending of these these uh, these tribes in the um, in the in the uh, in the Amazon, and and you know, I click back to see where he's at because he's like breathing hard and like he's got this wonderful conceit that he's doing this recording while his kid is like waking up, which is you know, it made it real for me. <laughs> um, and it's and he's about to talk to his kid, and you know, it's a recording playback of his kid that he's talking live, and the kid is like you know, pre recorded. And I go back to click on to see him talking to his kid, and the stage is decimated, there's nothing on, all the state house lights are up, he's naked from you know, the waist up, his hat is gone, he's covered in fake blood, and I'm like, what did I miss? <laughs> and um, it's a pretty awesome show. It's a fantastic show <laughs> and pretty good show. It's yeah, a great yeah. show. And, and it just took me 13 hours to watch it. And um, it, it's, but it's given, given that, that it was something that was not created for this time for him to turn it into something that is completely perfect and appropriate yeah. and, and is a sounding board for the times we live in, including the fact that he includes um, he includes this, you know, the little bit at the end about what the Brazil tribes are going through right now because of COVID nineteen. Yeah, it is timely. It's beautiful. It is moving, and you know, we are all friends here. To quote him, you know, we have we have friends here, and um, it. And I think the I think a, a big a big takeaway for around that is, you know, things can still work. Things that we think would might never work and never translate over into another medium, particularly when something is such an experience, right? And and if you you know if he ever tours the encounter again, uh, it's it. I mean, I'd I'd go see it again. It's it's an amazing experience in and of itself, and that it works so well for you even under like the most unideal conditions humanly imaginable well not not hey, humanly, including like, including headphones that i had to reverse because they work that way so i had to, yeah like, i had my <laughs> left ear and my right like, ear yeah. yeah just like bad just bad just the wrong experience right like everything that could almost everything that could go wrong did go wrong that the the power of the piece still came through that gives me hope and it gives me hope for things like the fact that 
you know, E3W has made a film out of where the others are, uh, which is will be available, you know, literally the day this this drops. Yes. Uh, and, you know, I'm very curious um, for people who know Immersive and who maybe know their work but didn't get a chance to see the show, how how that film works for them, how people who know Immersive but don't know their style if it works for them and for people who maybe don't know immersive at all, uh, how it hits them, because I can only view it as someone who saw the show and saw that combination of actors perform the show. So, um, there was, there was a little bit that was different for me because there, the, there's a, a very, there's, there's some path options in the show. I'm um, excited to see the other paths. I didn't get to see it. Yeah. I'm, well, I'm really excited to check this out. Yeah. Same. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm deeply curious. I'm really curious how you guys are going to like yeah. respond to it. And cause maybe, cause then maybe also there's something there. If it, if it works, then there's this, this thing that we learned in this period of time, which is, Hey, just because you've got a piece of work um, and it's limited to a region uh, doesn't mean you can't make something that can survive outside of the stage version of it. And you know, it's, yeah. it's like the equivalent of the, the Hamilton cast album, right? That didn't stop anyone from going to see the show and paying two thousand dollars. More people go see it, and we're all going to get people get Disney Plus because it's coming out now. So you know? yeah, well, no, we we get Disney Plus for Ducktales. Let's let's be clear now. Uh, no, no, I, I got it for the Mandalorian. Let's come on, let's, you know, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be honest. I got it for the Mandalorian. We get it for the Mandalorian. We keep it for Ducktales. Hamilton. There you go. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, All right. Um, it is past midnight where Zay is, and it's late here. And by the time we're at this part of the show, this will be like the third hour of the 250th episode. So, is there anything? Anyone's itching to say before I shut the microphones off? Brian, Zay, since Anthony and I have kind of run the gamut here for the last 15 minutes. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think we covered most of the things that I'm most interested in in this, in this time. You know what I mean? I think it's brought up a lot of interesting questions about what the work is, what the work can be, um, you know, what it gives the audience you know, what needs it fulfills and how those needs are going to, are going to change, you know, whether it's like new mediums, like we're talking about, whether it's like different kinds of staging or different permutations, like it's going to be a very, very different canvas. Um, but that's exciting, right? That's an opportunity for invention, for creativity, for new kinds of stories. Uh, and Lord knows, like as a society, we're going to need as much catharsis through storytelling as possible. Um, and uh, I'm just excited to see what what that looks like on the other side. Yeah, I I agree. I, I have a, a friend of mine uh, the other day was worried about the art that will come out of this quarantine experience because we're all going through the same thing. My friend, who shall go unnamed, said, um, and so how terrible will it be when we hear all these riffs on basically the same thing? And my feeling is very much the opposite. I mean. Partially, we aren't all going through the same thing, depending on what your job is or what part of the country or world you're living in. You're going through something very, very different. But even to the extent that we are, that we are going through something similar, I want to hear all of these stories. And I am really, really excited to hear how 
um, folks in the immersive world express this experience through whatever medium they have at their disposal. I'm really, really excited to see how they express their um, experience and how that connects with mine or what I can learn from that. I'm I'm really, really excited to see what will come from all of this. There's such a, there's a truth and a trick in storytelling of the specific is the gateway to the universal. Yeah. And what's interesting right now is we have a universal experience. For the first time in our lifetimes, we have a global universal experience. I mean, obviously there are some places in the world where this maybe didn't touch, right? So we're not talking about all 7 billion souls on the planet. We're talking probably about 6 billion at least of them though. So the closest thing we've had to, you know, a personal revelation <laughs> by an extra dimensional force coming to every single human being, um, that's what we've had with this societal and cultural phenomenon. And so, I mean, it's going it, to, the interesting thing is going to be like 20 years from now, right? 15 years from now, the stuff that gets made and the stuff that has like the the subtle but not overt references and the generation that follows after that are just like, oh, I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> like what, why, why, why did everyone care about that moment right there? And it's like, well, you didn't, you didn't live through 2020. So, um, and uh, that'll be fun. I'll be a very old man when that happens. Um, that'll, that'll be, a, that'll be an interesting moment. Um, guys, thanks for indulging my, my desire to, ramble with uh, my favorite people to talk about story and immersive with for this uh, anniversary episode. Thanks for having us. This is awesome. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. No, no, thank no. you very much. Noah. Seriously. No, no, think seriously. Thank you guys. Like, uh, I, um, this is not the conditions that I expected to be doing episode 250 and like, honestly, probably would have been like a big public thing. Um, but uh, but it's it's good to know that you know I can reach out into the dark and uh, and find find you guys there. So it means a lot. Once again, thanks to Zay, Brian, and Anthony for uh, for being there for me. Thanks to all of you for being there for me. I, I hope that we're there for you. I hope that's how this works. Um, five years, um, 250 episodes. I, um, I'm not a marathon person. Uh, <laughs> I can barely run anymore. Not entirely true. I, um, I think at some point in this show, I think I said, oh no, nine hours ago, uh, you know, uh, never thought I'd, you know, get to a hundred of anything. And now we're at 250 of something five years into the show or six years into, into no pro. We keep changing. We keep evolving. We keep growing. We keep being thrown these impossible, (laughs) completely impossible, um, obstacles. Uh, we keep overcoming them because of what we find and what we find 
so often is you. We find, um, we find creators whose voices need to be lifted up. We find fans who are every bit, uh, the kindred spirit explorers that we are. We find people who, uh, didn't know their hearts could be touched like that. Um, we find, you know, new businesses and, and, and things and new models of making work and a spirit and a willingness that there is, there's more to life than just cashing out. Um, that there's, there's the thing between us all. And, and that's the important thing. Um, I, um, I, I hope that, uh, this is, you know, made your weekend better. I hope that the show as a whole has made some of the last few years better for you. I hope that it continues to do so going forward. Um, I'm excited that we are going to bring you the everything immersive site. Uh, I'm proud of the work that we've done. Uh, you know, that, that Ricky and Sarah have done and, and the little bit that I've contributed on the industry report this year and, 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 and the work that was done on the survey team and, and everything. A lot of people, a lot of people helping out this, this year on that. Um, now that I, as I, as I sit with that, um, I I'm giddy that you're going to, you're going to hear some of what Zay and I get into on the DuckTales one. I just, that's pure, been pure joy for me. Um, that you, that you indulge me at all is ridiculous. Um, uh, I, I'm not always everyone I want to be, uh, for all of you, um, too much of one thing and, and, and not enough of another. Um, but I'm just so grateful that you give me the opportunity to be who I am. And, um, that's, that's something I, uh, that's something I didn't expect to find. Not really. Anyway, I'm getting modeling. Um, let's do the credits. Ha <laughs> um, ha. Noah, do you do you uncomfortably laugh? Yes. <laughs> let's not discuss it. The sustaining backers of No Presidium are Mark Baltazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Lonnie Hansen, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, Samuel Mystery, Sidney Guillory, Jeremy Charles Hahn, Brittany, and Elaine. The music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. We do this for you. I'll catch you next week. <laughs>